Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the African History Network show right here on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. Today is Thursday, October 12th, 2017, and we are live uh, tonight. Okay, uh, we, we have a jam-packed show planned for you. Uh, you know, last week we had um, uh, Dr. Issa on and uh, Brother Reggie, and they talked about... Um, uh, reparations, but they talked about some new research uh, that provides a better strategy for us to get reparations. And they dealt with the um, uh, 1807 International Treaty that the U.S. signed uh, along with uh, Great Britain. And they talked about how starting January 1st, 1808, those enslaved Africans that continued to be brought into uh, the U.S., and they were between 2.5 uh, million to 3 million at least, uh, continued to be brought into the U.S., they were, uh, it was human trafficking, okay? And that is a stronger argument to argue for restitution uh, being paid because you're not dealing with a moral argument, uh, you're dealing with a legal argument, okay, which is a better, which is a much stronger uh, argument, okay? So, uh, we talked about that uh, last week, so we have uh, Brother Reggie back, and I think Dr. Issa also, we have them coming up here in a few minutes uh, to continue the discussion, to wrap up, because we ran out of time last week, uh, to wrap up, because uh, Reggie was giving us some valuable information when it comes to uh, legal strategies. He's giving us some uh, legal information, okay, very, very important. All right, so, uh, okay, so you listen to the African History Network show. Uh, right here on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be broadcasting on Facebook Live here in just a minute. I'm setting that up. Had some problems uh, logging into the system uh, tonight. Okay, so uh, we have that going on. And then we're going to be joined by, uh, we should be joined by Dr. David M. Hotep, uh, who is the author of the book, uh, First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. Uh, Dr. David M. Hotep, and um, we're going to talk about uh, his book. We're going to talk about some new research also, okay, and uh, we'll, we'll deal with that as well. And then we're joined by brother uh, Deshaun Farad, Deshaun Farad, uh, dealing with the Black Women's uh, March. The Black Women's March took place uh, uh, September 30th, 2017 in Washington, D.C., and um We'll deal with uh, what took place there. He did some interviews there. What took place? What we'll deal with what took place there, and um, we'll deal with what took place there and get his thoughts about that as well. Okay. So we're about the broadcast on Facebook Live also. So give me a minute here. Uh, okay. So reparations is dead. Here's how to resurrect it is uh, what we talked about last week as well, and we're going to continue that discussion, okay? So you don't want to miss that conversation. All right, now I will be in, um, I will be in, let's see, I'll be in Atlanta tomorrow. So those in the Atlanta area, I'll be in Atlanta tomorrow, okay, uh, Friday, uh, October 13th through uh 
uh, Friday, October 13th through Sunday, October 15th. All right. I'll be in Atlanta for the screening of Black Friday um, Part 2. Black Friday Part 2. What legacy will, uh, will you leave? I would sorry, Black Friday Part 2, The Living Legacy. Black Friday Part 2, The Li- Living Legacy. So um, I will, that's taking place at the Impact Center, okay, in uh, Atlanta. And we're broadcasting on Facebook Live now also. Okay, so just give me a minute to make sure everything is working properly here. So we're on uh, Blog Talk Radio. We've got that going. And... Um, we are, let's see, and we're on Facebook Live as well, okay? So, everybody on Facebook Live, how's everybody doing? Welcome to the African History Network show. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network. Hey, share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in as well, okay? All right. So, um, on the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world, because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the uh, radius of a man's thoughts, you can control the circumference of his actions, because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now, we deal with a number of different topics here on the show. We deal with current events and history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, to 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. I'm going to send one out here in a few minutes, send out another one. Uh, text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T the 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. Also go to our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and uh, sign up for our email newsletter there as well, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, okay? All right. So uh, we're going to have Brother Reggie on here in just a minute. So I will be in Atlanta this weekend. So Black Friday Part 2, you heard me talk about the Black Friday uh, documentary series, Okay. Black Friday, what legacy uh, will you leave? And uh, the Black Friday series deals with economic empowerment for African-Americans, deals with uh, practical strategies to recycle a $1.3 trillion economy, deals with strategies to also uh, create generational wealth uh, for our children as well, create generational wealth. Um, And it also deals with, uh, okay, so there was an error on Facebook. Why did it stop broadcasting? All right. Uh, so it deals with um, creating generational wealth for our children. It also deals with uh, understanding where our concepts of money come from also, understanding where our concepts of money come from as well, okay? So we're having um, a screening of Black Friday to the Living Legacy, and this deals with the African global legacy. Uh, it's taking place at the Impact Center on Friday, October 13th, 7 p.m. I think it's going to about 10 p.m., something like that. We're doing a screening uh, and a discussion, all right? So I'm on the panel um, as well. Uh, this is taking place at the Impact Center in Impact Center in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, the Impact Center is located at 2 
2923 Sylvan Road, Atlanta, Georgia. 2923 Sylvan Road, Atlanta, Georgia. Just a minute. Just a second here. Hello? Yeah. 914-338-1375. 914-338-1375. Yeah, I'm on the air live right now. Uh, now. Okay. So, Brother Reggie's calling in. All right, so uh, I'm at the Impact Center in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, Friday, October 13, 2017, uh, Black Friday uh, premiere of Black Friday Part 2. And uh, we'll have some of the cast members on the panel. So I'm on the panel. It's moderated by Rashad Ritchie, Dr. Rashad Ritchie, uh, who's in the Atlanta area. And uh, you're going to have Ona Brown, who's the daughter of Les Brown, motivational speaker. You have Kennedy Stewart, who's a 10-year-old dynamo uh, in the movie. And uh, let's see, uh, you have uh, uh, Raya Kim uh, as well, and I'm on the panel. So you know... Uh, it's going to be a powerful panel discussion uh, also, okay? All right, so we're having problems with um, Facebook. I'm trying to stream on Facebook through um, through um, Google Chrome. So uh, we're going to try it on uh, – we'll try it through um, – Firefox, okay? So this is a three-day event in Atlanta, all right? If you visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, we have some information there about it. Then also go to uh, TheFilmBlackFriday.com, TheFilmBlackFriday.com as well, okay? All right, so um, we have that on Friday, and then on Saturday you have the – Rebuild Black Wall Street Expo and Marketplace. Rebuild Black Wall Street Expo and Marketplace on Saturday, okay? And this is taking place at Coco Studios, 767 Traybert Street, T-R-A-B-E-R-T, 767 Traybert Street, Northwest Atlanta, um, Rebuild Black Wall Street Expo and Marketplace. That's on Saturday, October 14th. I think that starts at 12 noon, something like that. They should have the information at thefilmblackfriday.com, thefilmblackfriday.com. And then on Sunday, October 15th, starting at 11 a.m., is the Black, Black Friday brunch at 58 Fuller and Joe L. Dudley Senior Foundations, Inc. Uh, oh, sorry, SB Fuller and Joe L. Dudley uh, Senior Foundation, Inc., uh, VIP Black Friday lunch and fundraiser. Uh, this is at the uh, Pas- Pasco's Restaurant, 18180 uh, 18 Northside Drive, Atlanta, Georgia. 180 Northside uh, Drive, Atlanta, Georgia. They should have all information at thefilmblackfriday.com, thefilmblackfriday.com. So I'll be in Atlanta um, this weekend. So come on out uh, and be sure to visit my vendor table as well. I have all my DVDs there. If you can't make it, you can order all my DVD lectures from uh, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And then um, also um, on uh, Wednesday, October 18th, and Thursday, October 19th, 
uh, I'll be in Chicago at Chicago State University for the Ujima Marketplace. I'll be in Chicago um, Wednesday, October 18th, and Thursday, October 19th, uh, 2017, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at Chicago State University, their Ujima Marketplace. This is put on by the Black Mall and uh, Sister uh, uh, Cassiopeia and her group, okay? And this is, uh, this will take place at the um, uh, Quasi uh, Ronald Harris Rotunda at uh, the uh, Chicago State University there, okay? So uh, come check me out there as well. And I'll have my vendor table there also. You can come talk to me, uh, and we'll talk some more about that also. We have this also at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, okay? All right, so we're on Facebook. Those on Facebook, share this uh, broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. Those on Facebook, share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in as well. So we want to welcome back to the African History Network show, uh, Brother Reggie. Uh, we had him on last week. Hotel Brother Reggie, how you doing this evening? I'm doing fine. Can you hear me? I'm doing fine. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, man. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you okay. Yes, I can hear you okay. Okay, excellent, excellent, man. Well, I know you and I, we had a good discussion, man, <laughs> earlier today. <laughs> Too bad people couldn't hear some of what we talked about. But uh, I had you on last week, you and, 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 and Dr. Jahi Issa, and I had you on to talk about this fantastic cutting-edge article that you, uh, you all co-wrote together for, uh, for BlackAgendaReport.com. And this article uh, was uh, uh, published July 12, 2017, and it's called Reparations is Dead, How to, Resur- how to Resurrect It. Reparations is Dead, How to Resurrect It, okay? And um, uh, we had you all on, man, for two hours last week, and you were talking about the um, international treaties the U.S. signed in uh, 1807 and 1810 and other years and, and uh, broke um, dealing with, um, uh, with withdrawing from the international slave trade. And you gave a new approach uh, to uh, achieving uh, retribution or reparations, whatever people want to call it. I just want to read the, the first three lines here. And I, I brought you back on because um, we ran out of time last week. Uh, with you talking about the legal portion, which is extremely important. So uh, you all open up the article and say the moral, the moral case, M-O-R-A-L, the moral case for black reparations effectively been made, but the legal argument has met much frustration in the courts. The authors believe that uh, Dr. Jahi Eason, Brother Reggie Marbury, the authors believe the period after 1808 when U.S. participation in the international slave trade was outlawed is key to clearing the legal hurdles to reparation. So, Brother Reggie, go ahead and uh, continue with educating us on, on this important information. Well, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure uh, to uh, speak with you directly, uh, Brother Michael M. Hotep. I think that you are certainly one of the great uh, journalists. I often work with uh, Brother Sarnetta uh, from uh, Black News 102. That's where a lot of young people know. And uh, um, he is uh, as equally uh, um, great um, um, in in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he gets shout it. Shout out uh, to Brother Sarnetta also. Uh, shout, yeah, shout out to Brother Sarnetta as well and, and the whole New York family. Go ahead, Brother. 
yeah, so I never get to popping, and you come back and you actually dissect uh, like a scientist these issues, right? So there's a uh, little sensationalism when you do the work, um, and so. Uh, but we need, uh, I think we need both because the uh, Sarnetta's approach engages the youth and gets them involved, and then we come around on your show where we actually uh, look at these issues a little bit more scientifically, so a little less screaming and yelling, a little less debating, uh, more getting to the point. So yes, you're correct. Right. We me. Dr. Jahi Issa, and um, also Brother Patrick DeLesis uh, yeah. wrote an article, uh, Reparations is Dead, um, and that was the first part of it, um, uh, How Do We Resurrect It? And then we wrote a second article, which is uh, Reparations is Dead, Authors Seek to Spark Public Discussion of New Legal Strategy. So that's where I begin uh, this uh, 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 I will begin this particular show. Um, okay. The the first paper laid out um, pretty much the argument. We um, we know that from 1776 to 1806, 1807, particularly Africans, it was legal for African. Uh, it was legal to import Africans into America. From 1807 mm-hmm. to the end of the Civil War. It was illegal to import Africans into the United States. From 1776 uh, to 1807, which is roughly about 31 years, there were roughly a million counted Africans enslaved in this country. From the period of 1807 okay. to 18 to yeah. the yeah. end of 1860, one million. Give me that time period. Uh, 1776 to 1808, one million were enslaved. Right. 1776 Count, to 18. Okay. And okay. from uh, mm-hmm. uh, from from 1807 to the to 1860, there were counted four million Africans enslaved. So the the issue is um, we we are at a, um, a historical um, first grade when we look at the whole uh, period of enslavement and don't dissect these two periods. Uh, the fact is that more Africans came to America to be enslaved after 1807 then uh, mm. three times as much than the um than the Africans already enslaved from uh the the British period the Dutch period uh um up until the uh, uh up until 1803 so we have uh, 1807 so we have 31 years of um uh, United States and when we do reparations cases or we think of reparations it's 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 fun to go outside of the barriers of 1776 um and you want to talk about the dutch and you want to talk about the spanish and portuguese and you want to talk about all that um that's not good in law right so you have to narrow your focus okay you can't be talking about british um that has nothing to do with it all you can do is talk about uh the numbers enslaved during the period of the united states now um, as I make these legal arguments, I do want to say, and, and um, it's been painful, uh, it's been painful for us. I mean, I've been looking at reparations for maybe about uh, 10 years. I testified on a panel in New York 
um, mm-hmm. in the uh, in the nineties on um, uh, presented by uh, Charles uh, Council Member Charles Barron at the time and uh, Council Member oh. Perkins in New York on the slave trade. And there I met a lot of the people involved in the uh, reparations movement. Uh, so right. uh, Deirdre Pellman Farmer, who put on the case, she was there. Professor Small, of course, was there with Leonard Jeffries. Howard Dotson was there. Uh, uh, Representative of Kanye's office was there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the there was a... Yes, their their um their office was there. Um, lots of uh, lots of scholars was there, and guess what? I presented. I was one of the last of the presenters, and I did something okay. different than everyone else. I what I did was I brought the bearings of my own family to bear, um, because I can find relatives all the way up to 1870. Now that's important. Legally, that's important. I'll tell you why, and and just remember that that is important, and I'll get back to that, right? Because it's going to go to something called plausibility. Now, in meeting these people, in meeting many of these people, and Dr. Leonard Jeffries, of course, is my uh, mentor, elder for life, my teacher, uh, in meeting many of these other people, um, what I find out that this is a a tremendous pushback I think it largely has to do with the black American um, uh, male ego. Uh, it has a lot to do with, like, who are you? You just got on the scene. has to be about, mm-hmm. like, well, you know, give us your work. Maybe we can do it better or it's our or we can sit on it. Um, um, so they have not been as welcoming um, in, 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 mm-hmm. in this argument that I lay down very um, succinctly and crisply. Crisply. Um, what I am saying to the first part of uh, this prong of this legal argument is that our case for reparations doesn't have anything to do directly with slavery. The case is okay. human trafficking. The case is human trafficking of Africans that came into this country illegally after 1808. Why? Because slavery from 1776 to the end of the Civil War is absolutely legal. It's a legal institution. There's nothing that we can do about it. It's in the laws of the United States, so everyone else gets, everyone participating in the legal slavery gets a pass. They're indemnified. They haven't. Um, uh, right. They have a. They have a card that they show. We were participating in something that was legal. It was legal. How could you? How could you now charge us? It's morally wrong, maybe, but your relatives are not here anymore, and my relatives are not here anymore. And let's just keep it moving. And I'll talk to you about some of the legal arguments that they make in defense. Nevertheless, what happens? When you put on a case where you show the United States breaking its own laws, what right. happens then? So now we're talking about a period from 1807 to the um, to the end of the Civil War, where Africans were not so. It was illegal to import Africans into this country, but you have. 
um, you have to look at American history and you have to open up the books to understand that um, that uh, there were 14, roughly uh, um, 14, 13 original colonies. Uh, by 1803, there were about 14 states coming immediately into the Union. So let me just see if I can bring some of this up. Just to let people okay. know what what's what's going on. So let's just see if I have it uh in my um in one of my papers very clear and I I don't see it directly at this moment, but I, I do wanna say that there are um roughly thirteen originally col- co- original colonies. And then they right. are after seventeen six um, they're going to be converted into states as this, uh, you know, as this, uh, you know, as these things get ratified. So, right. um, so by 1803, by 18, uh, by 1803, you have a very, very small, uh, United States of America, if it's, uh, if you can call it that. And, um, their need for, uh, slaves was at a minimum of a hundred. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, okay. a minimum and of a million. What year? And what huh? year? And from what the, year um, are you from, about? I'm saying up to about 1807, right? Right. You right. have a million in state Africans from 1776 to 1807. Yes. So then let me just see. Okay. Okay. So let me look at this. Pa- I have another paper that I want to bring up. So let's just see if I. Uh, and if and I, I, have question, I have a question about that, Brother Reggie. Uh, I have a question about yeah. that. So um, you're saying that um, from 1776 to 1807, there were a total of approximately 1 million African people in this country who were enslaved. Is, is that what you're saying? That's correct. That's correct. And you okay, can now, you can find yes. So in 1807, okay, before they signed the, the before they signed this treaty, in 1807, what was the number of enslaved African people in this country in 1807? Do you know? What I'm, ra- I'm rounding. Yeah, I'm rounding it off to uh, just a, just a, over a million. It could be 1,200 to 14. I mean, it could be it could be a million two, a million three, at this particular oh. moment, right? So they don't, uh, okay. yeah. So at this particular moment in time, now you have to understand that now uh, after this period, uh, some incredible things happen to the American uh, uh, Union. They get something called the okay. Louisiana Purchase. Correct. Right? Eighteen oh three. 1803, yes. Yeah. So then, so then you have, um, so then now you have new states coming into the union, right? And mm-hmm. in my other, right. um, so for example, you have, you know, um, Louisiana coming in 1812, right? And as mm-hmm. I said before, right. Louisiana entering the union with 69,064 uh, enslaved Africans in 1820. I'm using the 1820 census, right? Um, right. so, uh, and, uh, but at the end of 1860, they have 331,726 slaves. Uh, Alabama enters the Union December 14th, 1819, uh, with 47,000, 
uh, of, of 449 slaves in the 1820 census. Uh, but right. um, in 1860, they have 435, right? So, with, with, and then I'll read. Oh, yeah, Alabama, Alabama, 1860, yeah. So, 18, yeah. do me a favor, Reggie, because people are trying to write this down, okay? So, if you could get a number, when you get the numbers in the state, if you could give it twice, because people are trying to write this stuff down, okay? So, okay. Uh, that, that okay. was uh, the last one you gave. Which state was that, the last one you gave? Um, uh, the, let me just uh, see. Uh, well, I get, yeah, well, okay. So I gave Louisiana, right. Okay. In Trinity Union, okay. um, in 12 with 69,064 enslaved Africans at the 1820 census. Okay. And having 331,726 enslaved in the 1860 census. Uh, okay. then Those, I said, yeah. I, and then mm-hmm. I said, uh, uh, so I, I know I said, um, and I said Alabama, and I said Louisiana. Alabama. Yeah. Alabama. Alabama. Give, us, uh-huh. Give us Alabama again, okay, if you don't mind. Give us Alabama again. Yes. Uh, entering the Union December 14th, 1819. That's when it entered mm-hmm. the Union. Um, okay. And... But it, um, it had 47,449, 47,449 enslaved Africans um, okay. at the 1820 census, right? And 435,080 enslaved in the 1860 census. And so um, there is something called total slavery populations in the United States, right? Okay. Um, so you can Google right. total Total slaves, wait, total, it says total slaves, slavery population in the United States, 1790 to 1860 by state. So if you Google that, um, if you Google that, then you have an idea of what's going on. So, okay. um, um, so, so what, 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 so what I'm just trying to say is that, um, the United States has this uh, incredible need for um, enslaved Africans um, as these right. new states come, particularly Alabama in 1819, Arkansas in 1836, Florida in 1845, Louisiana in 1812, Mississippi in 1817, Missouri in 1821, right, and Texas in right. 1845. They have enormous need for slaves, um, for enslaved Africans. Right. And then you also have to understand that uh, prior to this, you don't have the cotton gin. You don't know how the explosion of cotton. You really don't. So the industry in the, in the what do you call it, the 13, 14 colonies hadn't been, there wasn't right. that big need. There was need to clear land, but it wasn't, the cotton thing hadn't picked up until much later. Right. So now you have these well, new... The cotton, the cotton yeah. gin has been yeah. printed in the early 1790s, and then you have copies of the cotton gin that are created. So this is after the American Revolutionary War ends. So during the 13 colonies, you did not have the cotton gin, which is going to make it more efficient to produce cotton and make it cheaper to produce cotton. Yeah, Go ahead. so cotton becomes, cotton becomes king, and you have these new, right. new states that, um, that, need, that, that are relying on this industry of cotton, right, for, um, largely for exports you know, overseas, mm. right? 
Um, right. So right. because sugar, sh- uh, sugar is in the Caribbean, right? That is, uh, and then right. there's, uh, you know, then there's right. tobacco. So right. because so the Caribbean this, uh, has that tropical climate, this, uh, that Caribbean has a, a climate more conducive to growing sugarcane. Also, go ahead. Right. So America mm-hmm. now finds America now finds an industry, right? And, right? and it needs a need, and you have these new states, right? And so you have this right. uh, need. I mean, this is not slavery for slavery's sake. Now, Correct. so the so I'm trying to uh, make an argument that showing the need for the, these new states coming in, the need for mm-hmm. enslaved Africans, but the importation of Africans is illegal, right? Correct. And that right. by the census right. populations, you have this uh, this new this this um, this population of roughly three to four million enslaved Africans counted, not not including the freedmen, the freedmen that were being in states like New York and you know Massachusetts and stuff like that. I'm talking about the enslaved population. There was a larger population of Africans that were freed largely in the north, right? But the enslaved, right. the count of enslaved, and they did that count in 1860 because it was necessary to understand if the south could turn these Africans into soldiers. That was a, um, so it was necessary to do a count prior to this war, right? Because you don't, well, you didn't, yes. It was this, Separate from the census, because the or was this part was this during the U.S. census? Because the first census goes back to 1790 when the first Congress meets. Mm-hmm. So this count mm-hmm. was this part of the U.S. census or separate from the U.S. census? Well, I'm taking 1860. Well, I'm taking census. 1860. Census. Oh, okay, okay. I see what you're saying. In, That's in for the U.S. census. So. Yeah, and the 1860 census is a is a count that Abraham Lincoln took. He, he took okay um, right. because he's. They're trying to figure out what is going to happen in this war. If these uh, Southerners right. are able to use these African, uh, these this African population, uh, they may uh, they may win this war. So my right. whole point of this is um, this is just background. This has nothing to do with the legal argument except for the fact that we know what the numbers are. Now, right. So let's. So let's look at how do we do a legal suit and um, and um, and let's look what some of the things that might went wrong in the prior suits that we have had. Okay. 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 All right. Absolutely. So because we want to deal, so, we want to deal with because so, uh, let me just say this very quickly, Reggie, because we want to deal with practical strategies that are actually going to work. We don't want to give false hope to our people and things like this. Now, this is no disrespect to anybody out there that's been working 30, 40, 50 years in in the reparations movement, but we want to, as you do more research, more information comes out, so you you alter your strategy based upon the new information. Go ahead, Reggie. Yeah, well, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that Mm -hmm. um, we have a problem as a people of turning over the baton. So people who mm-hmm. have been working on this um, unsuccessfully, um, when there are new ideas, it's difficult for them to uh, uh, change. They are right. they become stuck in the paradigm. They become paradigm mm-hmm. blinded. 
they become um right. you know uh frustrated and uh and at the same time if you understand paradigms um when there's a paradigm shift, anyone holding the old paradigm loses everything. They lose it, they lose their notoriety. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we are we're ego driven in our community, right? We come in with um, we almost come in with a a drum roll, right? And so right. if there's new <laughs> thinking, you your your name does not resonate as much as it did, right? So right. now we have these organizations that have done done a lot of work in the past. Um, in Cobra, for example, mm-hmm. um, you, um, and then we have, um, uh, we have um, our rep, John Conyers, who I, I respect. Um, I respect. Um, right. I respect he's, he's from um, Detroit, where I live. That's, that's our congressman. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And, yeah. I re- and I, so I respect Detroit. I, res- I respect the mother and the, and the father and the grandparents that bore this man to do this fight when it wasn't even, when it wasn't comfortable. Right. And just because, right, exactly. and I respect, I respect him. And then there is Ron Daniels and his, uh, uh, Institute of the black world, 21st century. And this other organization he formed with it called North, right. like, like right. North in a, like, I don't know. No. Uh, um, so, um, and, 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 and so, and then these scholars, Combined, and then there's other scholars out there that do separate work, uh, like Tanahisi Coates, right? Um, right. And and, and others. Michelle Abner uh, doesn't. Yeah, just so, just so people know, Tana, uh, back in 2014, Tanahisi Coates wrote a 17-page expose for the Atlantic Magazine called "The Case for Reparations." The case for reparations, okay? And in many ways, that helped to rejuvenate the discussion. When it came to reparations, it was a huge article he wrote. Just just a reference, because everybody may not know about that article. Okay, I just want to give him a reference point. Go ahead. You're talking about Michelle Alexander. Okay, so then um, uh, Michelle Alexander's work is very important in that uh, mm-hmm. she's talking about the new Jim Crow, and it sits on top of the Jim Crow era, the civil I mean civil rights era. It sits on top of uh, uh you know, Reconstruction South, it, it, it sits on top of uh, um, slavery in America, right? Right. And it, but it also right. sits on top of this illegal importation of Africans, right? Which, right. which right. none of them mentioned. None of them mentioned this. This is not, this is something that's interesting. So remember, my legal argument is dealing with um, the Africans who came in enormous populations after 1808. And I'm going to show you right. how this works and how different this is, right? Now, okay. important for you, to anyone to study reparations, they have to read the Dish Reform and Pellman versus Fleet Boston Financial Corp, uh, Aetna, uh, Incorporated at all, um, and, it, and, and, all, and, and the, all the proceedings uh, and its, uh, its final decision. Now, I'm going to start talking about that in a second. Um, okay, give it give, because you have give to us the name of that case again. Yeah, give us it's the name of that case Deirdre, again. Deirdre Farmer Dash Pellman, P A E L L M A N N, versus Fleet Boston Financial Corp. Now, the best way to see this case is to go into go into Google and then type Google Scholar. Right. 
go into Google, type right. Google Scholar, and then press the link for Google Scholar, and then in Google Scholar, type in Deirdre or D-E-A-D-R-I-A, Farmer-Pellman, P-A-E-L-L-M-A-N-N. And then, mm-hmm. then you should see the you should see the various cases uh, um, regarding that case in in Google Scholar. Okay. Now, um, Google right now, yes? yeah, it's in it's, it's in the article that you wrote for Black Agenda Report. It's Section Eight of the article. Yes, so, it is. So if, what, yes, if anyone yeah. doesn't have if anyone doesn't have the article in front of them and they want to follow and they want to know where the cases yeah. are. I'm letting our people okay. know that you can look up law cases, sure. particularly federal law cases, under Google sure. Scholar. Otherwise, That's you know, fine. with Google. Lexis and Westlaw and all this, you have to pay. But Google Scholar, you okay. don't have to pay. You don't get everything like you get in Pacer, but you, you, get, you get enough information, okay? So, okay. That's fine. Um, so now, it's, a, it's, all, it's very, very, very important to read this article by our premier uh, scholar uh, attorney, attorney Charles Ogletree. And he wrote, he wrote an article called Repairing the Past, New Mm -hmm. Efforts in the Reparations Debate in America. Now, my work and Dr. Issa's work and Patrick's work attempt um with a good reading to solve some of the issues that he lays out in this art, uh, article. What were you going to say, Brother Michael? Uh, uh, give us the name of that article again, because people are trying to write it down so they can research it. Repairing, Repairing the Past. Okay. New efforts in the reparations debate in America. Okay, new efforts in the reparations debate in America by Dr. Charles Ogletree, O-G-L-E-T-R-E-E, I think it is. Okay. He wrote it it from his perch in Harvard University, right? Um, Yes. Because he's a Harvard University uh, professor, our our law professor. Um, You know, we have others like um, Attorney Britton that are very, very single, uh, very, very uh, senior but Charles Ogletree um, has, has wrote this important document. And it's important, yeah. it's important that if you're going to talk about reparations, you are right. not going to, you're, you're, you're not going to just start in your emotions. You're going to start from the exactly. work that was already done. And right. Charles Ogletree, attorney Charles Ogletree, this elder, what he does is that he, Historically, he looks at um, the movement of reparations, and he looks at the mm-hmm. argument. He looks at the arguments, and he looks at the criticisms and the hurdles. So, the, this case that I'm putting out is a very well-researched case, um, a, a, a very well-researched thought—not case, but thought, right? Um, because right. it seeks to solve right. this problem. And I don't, um, you know, I mean. All of us want to know what happened to us, and all of us in our life want to do something for our people. And so this is the work that me, myself, and, uh, you know, Patrick DeLises and Dr. Issa and others 
who are our friends and colleagues have helped us in um, kind of re- peer reviewing our thoughts. So it doesn't come okay. from a place of uh, ignorance. And many of you do not know, but you should know. Um, my name is Brother Reggie Mabry. Mm-hmm. Um, my real, my first name is Reginald Mabry, right? Okay. I am probably the most, um, how can I say, famous pro se litigant in the last uh, 15 years. I am the most okay. famous pro se litigant in the last 15 years. I'm, I had a, um, a burden. I found myself in federal court. I found myself fighting this thing called the Twombly-Iqbal standard, Twombly-Iqbal standard, which is uh, 12B6 um, uh, motion failure to state a claim, which they, they defendants use against plaintiffs to knock out their case. And my case is uh, the standard right now in United States uh, law as far as a plaintiff as to pretty much uh, – in a discrimination matter, but it, it goes to all matters. What, what, how to look at, uh, how to, what is the bar of whether you pass or you, or you don't, the bar on failure to state a claim. So if you, if you put on a case as a plaintiff, you must state a claim, right? And if you do not, right. then you're going to fail to state a claim. And when they put on the Pelman Farmer case in 2006, they had not yet solidified what it is to, um, to fail or um, to pass the, um, the bar of um, a state of a claim. And so the wording is in the Pelman Farmer case. And, and, and when it came in 2006, when, they, when the case was lost, but my case in 2011 solidifies what is the standard. And, and, and uh, hopefully I get a chance to talk about that. But let me just move on. I'm just okay. telling you why I know what I know, right? And Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm just not somebody who didn't, um, uh, you know, I'm just not an armchair uh, thinker, armchair lawyer, lawyer. No, I went into federal court. <laughs> I went to federal court and I became famous. <laughs> So, okay. and, and so, this has direct and, and bearing on this work. Now, right. important to construct a modern, plausible legal argument for relief of what happened to African people, um, particularly after 1808, um, mm-hmm. this case has to do it has to be brought on human trafficking, not on slavery. Okay. The Pelman Farmer case okay. was on slavery, and it has, it, it has been lost. The, the, so the, any plausible legal arguments for relief on slavery, you can read the Pelman Farmer case, and you can see that it was lost. If we bring it back right. up in the context of slavery, we will be 12B6. Um, failed to state a claim, motion to dismiss, granted, right? Because the matter okay. was already done in the Deirdre Farmer case. We cannot bring up another case, okay? Now, the second thing oh, is we have you, to do some internal house cleaning. Reggie, Reggie, just repeat, 
Reggie, just repeat that. You said you cannot bring up another case on slavery. Is that what you said? That's correct. That's correct. And okay. You will be you. You will meet a motion, fail to state a claim, right? Um, um, and and it will um, and it will be and the motion will be granted to the defendants, and you will lose. We will lose, and we and, okay, and that will be bad law, and that we will have yet another burden because every time we put together a case that is faulty, they raise the bar. They raised okay, the bar. They put go. in new wording, right? And right. so the Pelman Farmer right. case has a lot of new wording that will stop you from putting on a case on slavery. We cannot put on a case on slavery because you got to read the Pelman Farmer case first. You also have to read okay, uh, Tony Charles Ogletree's mm-hmm. repairing the past new efforts in the reparations debate in America. Okay, so just one second here. So that's what I wanted you to explain to people for people to understand, because people listen on Blog Talk Radio and they're listening on Facebook. They're watching us. They're watching me on Facebook Live. They're listening as well. So that's why it's extremely important to understand this legal part part and not get up get caught up in the emotional part because if because of this 2006 case, it raised the standard of proof or raised the bar that you need to win a reparations case. Is that what you're saying? Uh, absolutely. And um, it's, it's very painful when you look at it. Um, and I'm going to get to why this is very painful about, you know, these, um, you know uh, that, that team went very far, but they went very far with losing arguments. Um, but but okay. they should be uh, commended <laughs> because – right. We understand now. We understand now. So their sacrifice in their hopes and dreams of doing something for us, um, it should not be tarnished except when they stand guard themselves and say, you can't do it better than me. And that's what happened. Um, That's what happened since 2006. 2006, because they failed, they could not regroup. And I have the words right. of uh, Dilda Farmer Pellman herself talking to Dr. Issa, um, and mm-hmm. I don't want to tarnish her, but, um, you know, she, she's very hurt by anyone trying to do a case after her. She's saying it won't work. We did the best case in the world. Um, and, yep. but, she, okay. but her case mm-hmm. was about slavery, and that is over. So I'm going to go to the first, so the first point is our matter must be about human trafficking, not slavery. The second issue is human. we got to do some internal mm-hmm. house cleaning. We have these organizations okay. in COBRA. We have NARC. Um, we, we, uh, and then we have um, uh, uh, the rep, um, uh, the Honorable um, John Conyers and his group, and we have this, the Congressional Black Caucus and some of their work and support around him. And then we have um, Charles Barron from New York. And then we have a lot of um, other people who started the reparations movement much earlier in places like uh, Chicago and um, Detroit. And their cases were conjoined into this Deirdre uh, Farmer Pelman case. The courts took uh, these other cases that were out there and joined them into this federal lawsuit um, that was lost because they were all about 
slavery. Right. right? Hey, they Reggie, weren't just, about yeah, human right. trafficking. Right. Hey, Reggie, just one quick thing so people can follow along with us because um, people who are listening and they tune in to, you know, they tune in at different periods of time. Uh, people can look at this article that uh, Brother Reggie co-wrote with Dr. Jahi Issa. Uh, Dr. Issa is watching us on Facebook right now. Shout out to Dr. Jahi Issa. This, you can read the article at blackagendareport.com. Blackagendareport.com. It's called Reparations is Dead, How to Resurrect It. Reparations is dead, how to resurrect it. If you look at section eight, eight says why the Deidre Farmer Pellman reparations lawsuit failed. Why the Deidre Parman uh Deidre Farmer Pellman P A E L M L L M A N P A E L L M A N why the Deidre Farmer Pellman reparations lawsuit failed. So people can pull this up and you can follow along with us as Brother Reggie lays out this 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 legal argument okay you have to understand and, law to and then, okay, and then we wrote we wrote with um patrick delicious me and dr isa um and patrick delicious mm-hmm. we wrote a second article reparations is dead authors seek to spark public discussion of new legal strategy well the reason why we wrote that article is because now all of a sudden the old guard is showing their hand they're upset about Right. What our first article, and they start talking, and then this uh, um, brother in the, in Cobra, he writes, he writes. His name is Cam Howard. He writes. Um, well, he, he he does a blog talk on the Black Agenda Report, and he says this thing. He says slavery was never legal under international norms. Howard further stated that only a small number of nations in Europe colluded together and created some rules among themselves on how to engage in these international crimes. Those were rules amongst mm-hmm. criminals. And he says this, and then we say, well, first of all, we're really not talking about uh, slavery. We're talking about uh, human trafficking. We're human not trafficking, right. Right. And so he's confused. Listen to what he says. Slavery was never legal under international norms. Howard further stated that only a small number of nations in Europe colluded together and created some rules among themselves on how to engage in, in these, these international crimes. Well, um, the fact of the matter is before you have slavery, you have human trafficking. You have to get the people. You have to kidnap them. You have to right. move them. You have to put them on ships. And so that showed us that um, Mr. Cam Howard is not very, very clear on the difference between human trafficking and slavery. And that just shows what the old guard thinks. And so I, I know we, Cam. I know Cam also. Shout out to Cam. I know Cam as well. So uh, you know, if you know, uh it is what it is. And no no disrespect to anybody, but get this get the I'm information not to anybody. Uh, this is not no, about no, 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 disrespect. No, no, I'm not saying you, Reggie. No, no, I'm not saying you. Uh, you know, I, I, people listening. I don't want people to misinterpret anything. I he know you. An you and I already talked. No, no, he, I wrote, he wrote a rebuttal. Cam Howard wrote a rebuttal mm-hmm. to our work, and right. we. I mean, he, he he didn't write a rebuttal. Um, he spoke mm-hmm. a rebuttal, right? Right. He did his show, mm-hmm. and we wrote a written rebuttal because we write. See, here's the difference. You can Absolutely. speak all you want. You Absolutely. Absolutely. But we wrote a Absolutely. written rebuttal, myself and Dr. Issa. So you can look at our written rebuttal to his speech. Uh, because, you know, mm. sometimes 
it's better to back up your um your your speech writing. Nevertheless, um, look, I'm not Cam Howard's a good brother. I'm just saying that he's oh, no, they're no, just no. part of this old guard that their issue right. is slavery, not human trafficking, and they don't understand the difference, right? So the second right. thing we have and to do is become have internal house queen. Huh? And that's why people have to have that's why people have to have the correct information so they understand what the real argument is. That's what I'm saying. That's why people have to have the correct information. That's why I brought you back yeah. on to finish up because you have, you have some very very powerful information that people need to hear, and it, it and it may be information outside the circumference of their own awareness. Just because they disagree with it or never heard it before does not mean it's not true. That's why I brought you back on to to lay this out. And, and Dr. Issa, who's listening online and others, um, but particularly Dr. Mm-hmm. Issa, Dr. Issa is um, because. You know, we spent um, a lot of our own money and our own a lot of own time, um, and then right. you know we have papers to write, we have conferences to do, right? But we need people's help. Yep. But we also need to um, send a shot across the bow, letting the old guard know that if you don't, if you have, if you don't have well written papers, right, you will not mm-hmm. prevail in this day, because when it comes down to law, we got to do better than they. Stole us, they sold us, they owe us. That is not right. going to work in the court. That's good for um, public activism and marching in the street, but the court <laughs> will take that and embarrass you because they will they will show right. how unfactual you are that you're hiding under conclusions and labels. So, um, shout right. out to Dr. Issa and shout out to Patrick Delisis and shout out to uh, Incobra and. NARC and all these other groups, but I'm just going to tell them that you better write right. well-written papers. Our people demand that, not little conferences to make you feel good, right? Um, mm-hmm. You're going to have to write well-written papers, and if you still want to deal with slavery, I think after this show, and maybe, and you should know after our articles, that's not something that you should t- talk about as far as bringing a, 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 a legal argument to the courts. Okay. Now, the third thing is, oh no, internet. Uh, so internal house cleaning. Look, we're gonna have to mend our differences and our egos. I'm I'm putting this out there to say that this is a new paradigm shift. Dr. Issa, myself, and Brother Patrick is saying that this is a paradigm shift, meaning this solves right. more problems. It's a set of rules that solves more problems than the previous issues. Um. Becomes, mm-hmm. uh, because of all the pre- previous paradigms. It solves more problems faster. It's new technology. It's new thinking. And I understand that if you're in the old guard, I'm just going to say that you could change. You can absorb our work. You just need to give us credit, and you need to be humble right. and give us access. Don't make our arguments right. and then not be well-researched and then fall because you just think it's public information. Right? This is not the flat earth, right. brothers and sisters. We're not doing a flat earth <laughs> argument. Right? This is um exactly. this is this is not that type of work that Dr. Issa has done in Patrick and myself. So we gotta do some right. internal house cleaning and you and, and we're asking the public to demand when they're talking about reparations that Dr. Issa brother Reggie or brother Patrick is on the panel. Demand that. Don't let them get away with the stuff. And um and I'm gonna I'm not gonna be nice, but I'm gonna be professional. 
I'm gonna I'm okay. gonna talk about that in a second, right? Uh, okay. Matter of fact, I talk about it now. This year at right, the uh, Congressional Black Caucus, this year mm-hmm. the Congressional Black Caucus 2017, the Institute of the Black World and NARC, NAARC, put on a presentation um, at the Congressional Black Caucus called the why and how of emotional reparations, defining emotional reparations as the concrete steps necessary to heal the emotional and psychological trauma caused by white supremacy and the anti-African narrative, as well as the reparations needed to bring an end to the trauma once and for all. Okay, so Uh, so when they say emotional uh, reparations, they're not they're they they're not talking about financial they're not talking about financial um restitution they're talking about trying to repair the trauma done to African people in this country emotionally from reparations is that what they are well, addressing? they're saying well they're, they're saying, saying that they need reparations is needed to bring an end to this trauma once and for all so Reparations is needed. However, it is defined. Compensation, um, however, is defined, is needed to bring an end to to this. Now, okay. you cannot bring emotional reparations to the courts or to win right. um, to win reparations. And this was right. done in the nation's capital with scholars talking about emotional reparations. When we have a uh, we have a uh, a case that was put on in 2006 that we lost, and it's 11 years later, and there's no significant work being done, and we're talking about how we feel. What about right. using these thousands of law students who who can't get jobs, who spent thousands of dollars in law school and can't work on a case in corporate white America because they're not needed? Why not using them? as an army to work on a case, right, to, uh, to, to at least, at least do a redress of the issue. Give them something to use their skills. So anyway, I'm saying the issue that I'm bringing this up is because we were trying to present and at first we thought that we would be able to kind of present and then people just stopped returning phone calls. And then uh, I could have went to D.C., but why should I go to a place where I'm not welcome, where they can't even return a phone call? And we called right. their offices. So let me just move on. Um, okay. Because it's, it's not about my grievances. Solely, but I'm going to say that we have to do some house cleaning. Now, the third prong is that the United States has never done an inquiry on the rights of Africans human trafficking into this country after the importation, after the prohibition of the importation of Africans or the, after the importation of Africans was made illegal in the dates 1807, 1818, 1819, and 1820. 
The United States okay. has skirted. They have always treated us as slaves. They never once looked at the rights of those Africans coming into this country and many dying, right? Hundreds of thousands dying on their way and, and dying here from 1807, 1818, 1819, 1820. They, they started that. So that is a major prong of what we're talking about. The United States has never done an inquiry. And I'm going to get to where, why the Pelman Farmer case failed. It failed in their inquiry. Watch this. Okay, now, another prong. Hey, Reggie. Reggie. Yes. Reggie, can you explain briefly what an inquiry, inquiry is? Because this is the first time some people are hearing this. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, well, to answer any question on, uh, on rights, uh, you, um, you, uh, uh, the, court, the court must do an inquiry, especially a high court, when there is a question. And so uh, if there's a question of rights, they have to look at the Constitution, and then they have to do an inquiry as to how things came about. Okay. So, so that's, they, a, that's, they, a, that's, that's kind of like to see if you really have a valid case, so to speak. Is that what it sounds like, to, to determine that well, you have a valid case? Well, no, it determines no, the history it determines of the case. The history of the case. Okay, it determines the history of the case. Okay, all right. It, it, yes, the, the, the history of the issue. History of the issue, okay. Right. right, like so if I'm dealing, if I'm talking about the slave trade, I expect right. an inquiry to be done on the slave trade. If you look at the Armistad, right. there was an inquiry done on that these people on the ship uh, on that Spanish ship were Mindy people. They were from mm -hmm. the Mindy, Mindy people, and they were hijacked. Um, and then this boat was hijacked somewhere around its route to Cuba, and then um, and then it found this, itself in Long Island. Who were these people? Where did they come from? Were they already slaves? Right. An right. inquiry has to be right. done on the the basic facts of the case and the basic rights. So in the Armistead case, go. it was found that these people were hijacked after 1807. They were African people, mm. but it was on a Spanish ship and they, they wanted to decide who's was, was these people the property of this Spanish ship? It was found that they were not the, the property of these Spanish ship because the, the Spanish had violated international laws. Thus, these people ultimately were returned to their land. Right. Right. And, and, and even though they killed, and they killed, mm -hmm. thank you, Michael M. Hotel, uh, mm -hmm. you're great. Huh? And so they were, because, um, you know, you get fact checked on these lines, and, um, man, you better be right dealing with Michael M. Hotel. He's going he's gonna to fact check you. <laughs> no, no, no. Right? I'm, just, so, I'm not trying to fact check you. I'm just giving people the, the context so they can understand. Go so ahead. that's necessary. <laughs> but that's necessary. So the Mindy people were returned. Uh, but now all of this is happening after 1808. So what they did was they looked at hijacked Africans and they returned them, right? But right. that was on a Spanish ship. They, mm -hmm. they never, they never, um, they did do inquiries on hijacked Africans on American ships, but we'll talk about that later. I talked about that a little bit last 
uh, week. Um, but um, I, I'm, I'm just going to go further. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because the United States has never done an inquiry on the rights of Africans. They've talked about them being hijacked and kidnapped, but they never talked about their rights as they did in the Armstead case. The fourth is... One one quick question, uh, Reggie, before you go to that. Just one quick question. Um, When you talk about the international treaty uh, of 1807, uh, we know the U.S. and Great Britain signed this treaty. Are there other European nations that signed this treaty in 1807? Well, the um, uh, um, yes, I mean there was the uh, the French. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, there seemed to be uh, the Spanish knew of it, right? Okay. Um, okay. So there. Um, so it doesn't matter because Britain put its battleships in the water, right? So it created an African squadron, and it was highly successful of um, so so of 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 finding slave ships. Right, so it didn't right. matter. They all knew about it. If um, Britain had declared slavery illegal, and the reason why Britain did it is not because Britain cared about Africans. Let's just stop that. The 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 Britons right. didn't want the Britons didn't want other groups of people, uh, other nations um, using this labor force to outdo small Britain. They didn't want they didn't want other people using the raw resources of Africa to be a greater a nation um, than them, right? So they were trying to block people out. Were, yeah, they wanted to dominate. They were, they were trying to block people out of that uh, slave trade and the and the natural resources in Africa. They were trying to block people out of that. Yes, especially Spain and Portugal, right? Spain and Portugal. Mm-hmm. So, um, right. so, so, but at the same time, these uh, some of these other ones will later now. Say you know what we're not going to do slavery outside of Africa. We're going to do slavery inside. So you have uh, you know uh, uh, you know what, what, what will be happening um, on the continent of Africa, right? For rubber and things like that, right? So you okay. you you will have that, and that's another that that's another issue. But as far as the human trafficking, uh, it came to an end in 1807. Now, right. Yeah, okay, so now another problem was who to charge. Uh, mm-hmm. Our reparations cases usually seeks to charge corporations, right? Um, right? Knowing that trying to sue the federal government itself is kind of difficult, right? The United States <laughs> uh, has sovereignty. They're not going to allow you to sue internally the federal government, right? However, there are some other fruit that's hanging, right? There's corporations, but there's not that many corporations. And I think the Pelman Farmer case actually found the number of corporations that was actively uh, involved in uh, the slave trade financing. Uh, but unfortunately, they didn't talk too much about human trafficking, right? So they, they, okay. they laid it out as far as slavery. However, um, Here's the thing. There are states and cities. You got to remember, it's the states that violated the law, the federal law, because right. they absorbed all right. these new slaves, these, these new captured Africans, these African nationals illegally. They, they absorbed right. them. 
Now, here's the other thing is, well, states have sovereignty, right? So sometimes states right. don't want to be sued, right? But guess what? Right. There are cities. Most of these Africans came into cities of these states, right? Right, exactly. So the issue hey, is... Know, uh, the keep, issue is, keep talking, Reggie. I got to catch this call. Just keep talking. I'll be back in a minute. Just keep talking. So the issue is... So the issue is... So we sue as a class, as a class action suit? Or do we sue from states? I mean, so, sorry, do we sue from cities that we are majority populated? Imagine if we can get hold and control of these cities that we are majority populated, and then we can use our city to sue the state, then that's a whole other issue, right? So that's part of my concept of a black city plan, using the cities where we are primarily uh, populated in uh, to seize power in those cities and then to, then to use that city power to sue states and, uh, and even possibly the federal government, right? So that's problem number four. Um, and so um, problem number five is, um, is that who's doing the suing? The problem with the Pelman Farmer case and lots of times with plaintiffs, if you put on a case, and you're not the person who were harmed, and you try to put in third parties to show that you were harmed, you're going to fail. So putting on a case that you don't know your own family history or the plaintiffs don't have their own family history is uh, futile. You're going to lose. You're going to lose because you're not going to be able to show that you were harmed. And unfortunately, in most of these cases, not the Cato case, but the Pelman Farmer case, that's, they were not successful in showing how them, they themselves were harmed. So the case is going to be tossed out. Now, then there is another prong, which I'm going to say prong number five, which is uh, handling the hurdles usually appearing in these cases that are put on. And okay. I talked about some of those hurdles. Some of those hurdles might okay. include something like you, you're the plaintiff, but you, but you haven't shown harm yourself. So how right. are you going right, to, exactly. so for example, if you're a Caribbean American or you, your family just got here in the, in the 1900s, right? You're going to mm-hmm. put on a case of right. slavery. I mean, I'm put on a case uh, of slavery and you're not a recent member. So we cannot go into the courts without doing our own personal family history, trying to find right. out if a family member of ours was an enslaved African uh, that came from Africa, right, um, doing our own census right. uh, work, um, doing our DNA testing. We have to be good plaintiffs. It can't be a situation where you say, Oh, I got robbed. What did the what did what did he look like? Oh, he was tall. Or uh, he was black. Uh, or he was white. Or um, 
you know, uh, he was wearing a blue uniform. Uh, what, what was he an officer? Well, uh, maybe I don't know if he was a cop, but no, we you will you will not be you will you you're failing to state a claim. Okay, so well, um, so now let me did, just whoever did it, yeah, let me just say this quickly. Whoever the defendant is, so people understand, whoever the defendant is, they have to be the injured party, and they have to prove they have to show injury. They have to show they were harmed, injured, something like that. Whoever Whoever the defendant is has to be the injured party. Go ahead. Okay, so now I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read to you um, in regards of this case, the 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 Pelman Farmer case, as a syllabus. Okay. I'm gonna read to you um, some basic information and what the judge said. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. This is the appeals of Deirdre Farmer Pellman et al. and Timothy Hurdle et al. United States Court of Appeals, Seventh Circuit, argued September 27, 2006, decided December 13, 2006. The judge, um, Posner, the appellate judge, said the following about the case when he ruled against it. He said, okay. if the insurance business was competitive back then, and the plaintiffs do not argue that it was not. Edna did not profit in an economic sense from the transactions of which the plaintiffs complain its profit would just be cost of equity capital. And in any event, it would have distributed any profits from the transactions to the shareholders long ago. Right? So... Okay. He Posner is basically saying that in any event, uh, Edna didn't benefit. It would have distributed any profits from the transactions to its shareholders long ago. Go chase that money, Negroes. Mm -hmm. That's what Posner said. Right. Because you brought on, you brought on an economic case, and, and you tried to look at our company sheets, and you didn't know that he was going to uh, just convert it to the cost of equity capital. Right? Now, okay. he said, this is in a reparations case against a corporation. I'm going to show you how they get down, right? Then they say, then, all this, that to one Aetna side. To one side. This was Aetna Life Insurance Company? Aetna? Yeah. Yes, that's what yeah. the, he said yeah. about yeah. Aetna, because Aetna was one of the plaintiffs. I mean, sorry, one of the right. defendants. Okay, right. So then Posner goes on to say, all that to one side, there is a fatal disconnect between the victims and the plaintiffs. <laughs> when a person is wronged, he can seek redress, and if he wins, his descendants may benefit. But the wrong to the ancestor is not a wrong to the descendants. <laughs> For it is for if it were, the problems of proof to one side, statutes of limitations, would be toothless. A person whose ancestor had been wronged a thousand years ago could sue on the ground that it was continuing wrong, and he is one of the victims. <laughs> you see what he did? Posner, not only, he took it out of the 150-year, 200-year Period. Posner, he laughed at us by saying a person whose ancestors had been wronged a thousand years ago 
could sue on the ground that was a continuing wrong, and he is one of the victims. And he, he did that because he said there is a fatal disconnect between the victims and the plaintiffs. Why? Because the people who put on that case, they never showed how they was the direct victim. What they tried to do right. was use a third-party argument, right? Meaning right. that they're yeah. part of a class. Right. Hello? Right. So, so what he's saying is, is that when it comes to reparations, African-Americans today can't sue on behalf of their ancestors 150 or 200 years ago the wrong that was done to their ancestors. He's saying they, they can't do that. You have to show the, you have to show the injury that is being done to you today, or you have to show how you are the injured party to actually sue. You cannot sue on behalf of your ancestors. This is basically what he's saying. Is that correct? That's what he said. That does not mean that it is true. But because okay. the plaintiffs had a fatal disconnect, meaning they did not show how they, in fact, were the victims, right? Right. Then the judge can say that. You understand what I'm okay. saying? Right. Like, 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 who got robbed? You or your brother, right? Right. Um, right. Uh, you have to show that we both got robbed. You have to show how this impacted you. Now, you are suing these banks, so you're going to have to show right. how these banks, these corporations, actually, how it actually affected you. All right? right? So what he's okay. trying to do is he took out the corporate argument. He's saying that, look, mm -hmm. if you are not savvy enough, don't go try to sue a corporation, right? Now, right. if you're right. in the records of a corporation, that's another story. But guess what? These plaintiffs didn't meet that hurdle. So the judge can throw it out because you're the wrong, it's the wrong victim to the wrong um, defendant. You, you understand? Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. The wrong victim to the wrong. You're the wrong plaintiff. <laughs> you. Mm -hmm. So you know what? Let me just take care of you real quick because you're the wrong plaintiff. So if we're gonna put on a real reparations case or a case for rights, we have to be the right plaintiffs. I can't right. put somebody on who is a Caribbean American coming in um, after the um, um, the African Exclusion Act. Um, uh, was was um, was 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 ended. Um, so I can't be Marcus Garvey. Marcus Garvey can't put on a case for <laughs> the great Marcus Mosiah Garvey cannot be a plaintiff in a case dealing with uh, Africans imported illegally into the America from 1807, 1808 to 1860. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right. Right. Because because he would not be the injured party. That's correct. That's right. right. And and right. if you are an African whose people were here uh, 150 years ago, you're going to have to show that they were. Right. 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 And so then you begin to tell your life story as to how you were injured. You have to be the right plaintiff against the right defendant. It can't be any right. old. Okay, there you go. So thanks so much. Mm -hmm. So now uh, nope. let's go on. Now, 
Posner said, to name just one of those obstacles, it is highly unlikable, unlikely, sorry, that an antebellum laws in northern states were intended to confer financial or other benefits on the 21st century descendants of slaves. <laughs> but the obstacles to the vindication of the plaintiff's legal claims have the form at least of conventional defenses to lawsuits. If one or more of the defendants violated a state law by transporting slaves in 1850 and the plaintiffs can establish standing to sue proved the violation despite its antiquity, established that the law was intended to provide a remedy either directly or by providing the basis for a common law action for conspiracy, conversion, or restitution to lawfully enslaved persons or their descendants, uh, identify their ancestors, quantify damages incurred, and persuade the court to toll the statute of limitations, there would be no further obstacle to grant of relief. So he's just basically telling you He's saying if one or more of the defendants violated a state law by transporting slaves in 1850 and the plaintiffs can establish standing to sue, prove the violation despite its antiquity, establish that the law was intended to provide a remedy, either directly or by providing the basis for a common law action for conspiracy, conversion, or restitution to lawfully enslaved, uh, lawfully enslaved uh, um, persons or their descendants, identify their ancestors, quantify damages incurred, and persuade the court to toll the statute of limitations, there would be no further obstacle to grant a relief. He's saying that. But then he says, okay. but this casual chain is too long and has too many weak links for a court to, to be able to find that the defendant conduct harmed the plaintiffs at all, let alone an amount that could be estimated without the wildest speculation. Is it possible to determine how much, if any, less slavery there would have been had the defendants not done business with slave owners? Which effect a diminution of slavery would have had on bequests by ancestors of the class members and how much of the value of those bequests would have trickled down to the class members? Um, look, um, we have this, this taste of inequity in our blood. Even though it sounds highfalutin law, it sums down to again wrong plaintiff, wrong defendants. You plaintiffs are talking about the, these corporations, right? And you haven't proved any of this. But if you could, maybe there would be no further obstacle to grant a relief. But, um, but just in case you could do that, I'm just going to say that the casual chain is too long and too many weak links of your case for a court to be able to find that the defender's conduct harmed the plaintiffs at all. Because he's really talking about their case that was put on. He's saying that the casual chain is too long. He just, you didn't do muster. You just pretty much said that these people were harmed by these corporations, but you didn't say it was you. But if you had, maybe it could go further. Got it? Okay. So, so they said that people were harmed by the corporations, but they didn't show how they directly were harmed by the corporations. Well, the, 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 the lawyer is laughing. I mean, uh, the attorney is laughing at them. He's basically saying, I can say what I want because you're the wrong plaintiffs. <laughs> you're the right. wrong defendant. Right. So I can, right. I can act like I'm moral ethical, but you put on 
place. Mm-hmm. So I can play right. with you because you're not. All you can just do is say, are you the plaintiff that was harmed by um, Fleet Boston? Can you show it to me? And laugh right. at you. See, right. we got to be careful, right? We, we, we have to be careful. Right. Oh, when did you come in this country? Oh, you can't even tell me who your great-grandmother is. How about your great-great-grandfather? So you don't know one way or another, do you? So why are you in my court? Right. Matter of fact, I'm not just going to dismiss you. I'm dismissing the whole class because of you. Now, I'm so, not trying so this to be is the problem. Right. So, so this is the problem with trying to approach this, trying to approach reparations and lawsuits emotionally as opposed to legally. This is the problem with doing that. And then when you file a lawsuit and it fails, they raise the standard that, that the next lawsuit has to meet to actually win. So it makes it much harder for the next lawsuit. That's exactly right. And so um, then it becomes humiliating, right? Because Posner just humiliated us because we right. thought we were savvy enough. We thought we were free. We thought we, uh, we knew law, right? We thought we could put on this right. case. And they create the rules, and they change the rules, and they manage the rules. And we're just not uh, all the time up to the rules. So that's why I'm doing this show. Um, for mm-hmm. you to talk about some of the rules because I was in federal court and I was faced right. with the same thing, right? Okay, right. so I can't talk about my case, but you could look up my case, but I can't talk about it. But I could tell you the Securities Exchange Commission versus Bronson, um, if you look up my name, Reginald Mabry, and Securities Exchange Commission versus Bronson, you will find that the Securities Exchange Commission of the United States of America used my case as its legal standard, right? So my case Security is so Exchange Commission, case, uh, huh? Security, Security uh-huh. Exchange Commission versus Bronson. Yes. You can, you can look okay. up my name, which is Reginald Mabry, right? Um, okay. And I am not going to say who, who my, um, my opponent uh, was because I I still love my uh, opponent. It just uh, it was just we were um, it's just bad circumstances and we ended up in court. So nevertheless, okay. uh, nevertheless, okay. mine is the standard. So now here is what the standard is: directed directly connected to the plausibility standards um, of Twombly Iqbal that is bearing in all federal and criminal matters, right? It, there is this, right. this plausibility standard. Plausibility is, uh, it means more than reasonable. It means, I, 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 I talk about it the way they talk about it, right? Meaning that okay. that case was just not plausible. It was conclusionary. So let me just read what right. the standard is. Bell Atlantic Corp okay. versus Trombley. This is one prong. While a complaint Attacked by 12B6 motion to dismiss does not need a detailed factual allegation. A plaintiff's obligation to provide the grounds of his entitlement to relief requires more than labels, conclusions, and formulaic recitations of the elements of a cause of, uh, of action will not do. So in this case, um, it says that the plaintiff, which was Pelman Farmer, um, need 
detailed factual allegations, but a plaintiff's own application is to provide the grounds of his entitlement to relief. And that requires more than labels and conclusions and formulaic recitations of the elements of a cause of action will not do. Meaning they stole us, they stole us, they owe us, won't do. <laughs> right. I have to be the person that would be the person that would be. Right. Right. Okay. So can you hear me clear? No, no, I can hear you. I was saying that. I said that emotional plea won't work. That's what I was saying. The emotional plea. Won't exactly. Work. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so also the um, the Supreme Court, uh, or also that court, not the Supreme Court, but that court emphasized that factual allegations must be enough to raise a right to relief above the speculative level. And that once a claim has been stated adequately, it may be supported by showing any set of facts consistent with the allegations in the complaint. Plaintiffs must allege only enough facts to state a claim to relief that is plausible on its face. But if plaintiffs have not nudged its claim across the line from conceivable to plausible, the complaint must be dismissed. Mm-hmm. You see what we're up against? Huh? Right, right. So how can the people who know who Abraham Lincoln is and who know jo- who George Washington is but don't know who their own relatives are at this, uh, during that time period make right. claims, right, when it is not so hard to find out who you are? But you're lazy, black man and woman of America. You're lazy. You want everybody to do it for you. You don't want to go to the library. You don't want to go and look up the census records. You don't want to spend no DNA money. You don't want to spend a little money with Ancestry.com. You don't care about your great-great-grandmother. You don't care that they lived and suffered during the time of slavery. You care about you. You might know your mama and daddy, and you might not. You barely might know your grandparents. You hardly know your great-grandparents. And you hardly, hardly know your great-great-grandparents, and so on and so forth. But your ancestors lived and toiled during the time of Abraham Lincoln. What kind mm-hmm. of, why should the white man respect you when you don't even respect your own family? You understand what I'm saying, Michael? Mm-hmm. Right, right. You have to do the family so, tree research. You have to so, do the family tree research. Uh, and show how you are the injured party. Okay. Okay. I'm glad. I'm. I'm, I'm glad. Dealing with, I'm, uh, I'm dealing uh, with my master scholar <laughs> on the other side, right? Because most people don't get it, right? right. Now, um, we have to have legal debates on this subject, not emotional yeah. reparations, right? Correct. So that we could. Uh, go to we can meet the the standard and understand that formulatic recitations and conclusions will not win the day for our people right we will not redeem will not be able to finally bury our ancestors be able to tell their stories slogans such as they stole us they stole us they owe us has no meaning in the legal arena 
right? Mm -hmm. We have to say they stole us after 1807. They um, they created a law to prevent um, to the prevent the importation of Africans to go in effect in 1808, right? They continued right. to steal us after that. They sold us to states needing labor, to those particular states needing labor against a federal law. They broke their own federal law. They never right. gave us a constitutional inquiry, right, of those people coming in. They converted us into slaves, right, and, and they enslaved us and converted us into slaves from the slave ship, right? They did right. no inquiry into the rights of these Africans, right? This is the mm-hmm. beginning of a more fruitful pleading, right, with then then the Tellman Farmer case, yeah. Right. So, uh, um, to 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 begin to meet the muster of that we what well, we have to. Now, uh, in the first case, uh, I mean, sorry, in the first article that Dr. Issa and myself and Brother Pat wrote, we put together um, three or four major. Uh, uh, Supreme Court cases after 1808, and none of them dealt with a constitutional inquiry of these Africans coming in when the slave trade was supposed to be prohibited. The the human trafficking was supposed to be prohibited, right? So that right. gives us joy for us. Um, to, um, it gives us joy because now we got them. You bastards. So you know you was importing us. We have all these records, you bastards, right? But you know this, you bastards. Why? Because um, Tammy, who did the uh, Dred Scott case, he was a, people don't know, he was a, a, a lawyer, defendant lawyer on a slave ship prosecution case. So Tammy knew that there was importations of Africans because he did a case on a a ship from Cuba, right? Then you have Judge Marshall, but underneath Judge Marshall is the Associate Justice Story who writes his own, his son writes his own, writes his memoirs. And Joseph Story talks about the history of slavery. And Joseph Joseph Story was one of the key, key, uh, uh, um, judges on the Amistad case. He was a master in understanding slavery. So we have their own people. Judge Story says that they are importing 50,000 people illegally a year. Judge Story right. says this. We have their own words from their own justices. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Admit- now let me continue. Okay, yes. and we've got uh, thirteen. We got thirteen minutes before the top of the hour, so I'm because I have Dr. David M. Hotep coming on around the top of the top of the hour. We'll go ahead and continue, uh, Reggie. Okay, good. So that makes it easy for me, so I don't have to lay out all of the uh, Dr. Issa. We'd be happy, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, <laughs> right. Um, so again, the suit must. 
must uh, must accurately uh, contain the right defendants. Who are the defendants? My analysis says that the defendants must be states and their corporations that conspired against the United States law and enriched themselves in the transportation and forced labor of Africans after 1808. These states will include states like New York and Baltimore, uh, who facilitated corporations, uh, were facilitated by corporations in the fitting of the ships, where the ships departed from. It will deal with New England states that also fitted and facilitated by corporations um, of, of ships um, departing from them. Uh, it would also include the slaving states entering the Union after 1807, requiring huge amounts of slaves, and they would have to have the burden of showing where they got these slaves from. And no, no to our adversaries, we didn't hump ourselves. Uh, we weren't happy slaves humping ourselves to these populations. You were going to have to show how you got these numbers, how, how even if you were breeding slaves in Virginia, how, how the Virginia slave, you're going to have to show by your records Right to our adversaries, huh? uh, uh, the 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 legal how can I say the the legal transactions of moving slaves from other places. And trust me, when it comes down to things like uh, this whole case with uh, the um, in and uh, uh, the, this university in Washington D.C. and the sale of a large batch of Africans. Uh, uh, for 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 that university to save that university. Come on, um, come on, George. Yes, you talking about the George yes, Georgetown, Georgetown, right? Okay, go ahead. Well, guess yeah. what? They needed more slaves for Louisiana, and that's all they got. So do you understand? There is a shortage. That that whole thing shows that there's a shortage of slaves. Louisiana needs lots of slaves, and that's all they got, right? That's mm-hmm. all they got. So how how do they fill these numbers? They fill these numbers by allowing these states to absorb Africans imported after 1808. Now, um, now, so again, the suit again must show accurate victims, right? That's a victim that must overcome, uh, over, over, um, be overcome, a hurdle. Right. Um, the victims. Uh, have to show that they are descendant families who were in the United States prior to or at least 1880. Or Africans, uh, yes, or Africans from the Caribbean and elsewhere were somehow impacted by the slave trade. Um, but this suit can only deal with the African in America, the, Africa, the African who can show that his family was in here 1880. Now, if this suit or this work that we're doing is successful, either legislatively, 1880, 1880 yes. or 1880. at least 1880. 1880. Huh? At least 1880. Okay. At least from the Caribbean and elsewhere. Okay. They just stopped it. Sure. So right. there was a freeze. So um, right. after Booker T. Washington, he worked on that. Um, Dr. Tyrene Wright in her books on Booker T. Washington, uh, The Making of a Pan-Africanist. She deals with 
that that um, that these Africans were able to come in after after this after Booker T. Washington's work, and then they then large numbers started voluntarily uh, migrating to uh, the Americas, uh, to the United States. Okay. But this dude can only deal with those Africans that could show that their families were here prior to 1880. Otherwise, um, how can I say? Now, um, okay, so now, so who, those are who the victims. Now, um, I wanted to read, what I wanted to read was, uh, so we, I got about eight minutes left, Right. So I'm not going to sure. yeah. get all into the 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 success of my uh, 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 how I think we can successfully put it in um, a witness suit. But what I am what I can do is bring you to uh, I'm going to say you can look up in regards or in re African American slave descendants litigation 375 F period. Sub second D seven twenty one district court um uh Illinois. Now you can look that up when you look up uh Pelman Farmer case in Google Scholar under federal cases right. you will see look up three seventy five um F sub second D seven twenty one. Now when you look that up, I'm gonna wind this up really quickly. Um, sure. When you look this up, they do an inquiry, and I'm going to read the inquiry that kills the uh, that kills the uh, the slavery case. The slavery case was killed. The case for reparations on slavery was killed in this particular document. So I'm going to try to uh, bring this up. One second. Okay. Okay. No problem. Um, you can ask me a question while I look uh, while, 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 while I look this up. If you have a question, what was the name of the what was the name of the article that you all wrote that was a rebuttal? Uh, I think you said you wrote a rebuttal article to the comments from Cam Howard. What what was the name of that article again? Uh, it was reparations is dead. Authors mm-hmm. seek to spark public public discussion of new legal strategy. Okay. Authors seek um, to spark. Yes. Um, public discussion. New, new, of, authors of, seek to spark public discussion. Okay. Of new and legal strategy. Was that public discussion huh? of new, new legal huh? strategy. Public discussion of new legal strategy. Okay. Was that correct. for blackagendareport.com also? Was that for the Black That's Agenda correct. Report as well? That was the Okay. That was a rebuttal to Cam Howard's uh, statement. Okay. Okay. So okay. now, um, okay. So in this thing that I'm trying to find, because it's very long, they did an inquiry into okay. slavery, and they and they killed okay. the slave uh, trade. Uh, okay. So they so they go. It says part two. Okay. Now, so here's how they kill that case. They go, introduction. This case is rising out of the institution of human chattel slavery as it existed in North American colonies and the later formed United States of America. The allegations in plaintiff's second consolidated and amended complaint um, retell the general acknowledged horrors of the institution of slavery and the migrations, um, the 
um, actions of the sovereigns, entities, and individuals, foreign and domestic, that supported the institution. Plaintiff's complaint asked the court to reexamine a tragic period in our nation's history and hold various corporate defendants liable for a commercial activity of their alleged predecessors um, before, during, and after the Civil War in America. Defendants acknowledge that slavery marked a deplorable period in our nation's history. However, they assert that the plaintiff's claims will, which arise from that period cannot be heard in 2005 in a court of law. And then they go on to talk about a historical overview. A historical what? You dropped out for a minute there, Brother Reggie. You said a historical what? Um. Reggie? Uh, they, okay. Yes. They say, uh, then, then they say, uh, then they, they go on, they go on to a historical Reggie, overview drop. of, hello? Yeah. Repeat the last hello? two sentences. Yeah, repeat the last two sentences because you, you, your, your voice dropped out. Repeat the last two sentences, okay? After that, they go on to part two, which is a historical overview of slavery in America. Okay. Right? And this is where okay. the court suckers the, our plaintiffs to losing their case, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. They say, in essence, plaintiff's complaint is a claim for reparations rooted in historical injustices and the immorality of the institution of human chattel slavery in the United States. Got it? Right. But slavery is legal. Right? Right. Slavery is legal. Right. So if the complaint is, if their, if their case is rooted in the historical injustice and immorality of the institution of human child slavery in the United States, right, then he suckers them in further. To elucidate the nature right. of this institution, the court undertakes an analysis necessarily brief of the historical events surrounding slavery. Uh, including the monumental event that ended the institution of slavery in the United States, the Civil War. The course also undertakes a brief analysis of the present-day slave reparations movement in order to illuminate the larger political context in which the case falls. So they sucker them because they don't talk about human trafficking. They don't talk about there's only one sentence in this whole inquiry of 1808. They don't talk about these new Africans coming in after the law has passed to prohibit slavery. So let me read the thing right. on 1808. So then okay, they go, go slavery in American law. The violent oppressive system was supported by the United States legal system for a long period of time. This is the courts. Thus, slavery was historically more than simply a social and economic institution. It was also an established legal institution. For instance, Article 1, Section 9 of the United States Constitution has been traditionally understood to limit Congress' power to regulate slavery. It is thought that the article meant that Congress was denied the power to regulate the international slave trade, and leaving only importation from Africa to be prohibited after 1808. Walter Burns, The Constitution of the Migration of Slaves, 78, Yale Law Journal, 198. Also in 1850, Congress passed a statute supporting the rights of slave owners to capture enslaved, escaped slaves. The Fugitive Slave Act provided, blah, blah, blah. That's the only mention of 1807-1808. They never dealt with this new population of Africans coming into this country. They suckered them. But what they did was they did all of this to kill 
bringing a slave lawsuit, a, a, a slavery lawsuit for reparations. And so you can read it. Mm-hmm. You can um, you can read it for yourselves. So essentially, so then how do we how do we fix this? How do okay. we fix this? We fix mm-hmm. this by um, following the work of Dr. Jahi Issa and uh, Brother Reggie and Brother Patrick Delises as we seek to cure, because uh, we have read this case, we have read um, the other uh, Supreme Court cases, we have taken the advice right. of Ogutri, a great scholar. Uh, there's other great scholar lawyers like uh, Britain. Um, um, we have looked into it. We're not laymen. Um, I don't. I don't have a, a PhD. I'm waiting for my people to give me a honorary PhD. I'm saying all these black, right. uh, um, you know, historical black colleges, who, who are, give me an honorary degree. I'm solving a problem. I mean, don't you give degrees for people who solve the problem? I'm solving a problem. No, I didn't do your work. I'm not in your box. But I could tell you that we have a cure for this failed reparations case. And again, I'm only saying it because, and I know we're, um, it's at the top of the hour, um, I'm only saying yeah. that is because I'm not criticizing the people for bringing the suit. I'm criticizing the people after the suit. We don't need no e- right. emotional reparations conversation. Either we're prepared to do intellectual war or we need to sit our ass down. If you're not prepared to right. do intellectually infused history with PhD scholars like Dr. Issa, with law, whether right. they're pro se lawyers like myself or other great lawyers, if you're not willing to fuse it, then we don't want power. We don't want power. We deserve everything that we get because we're not willing to do what other people have to do. We're not fighting against our lives depending on it. We want to be comfortable. We want people to clap for us when we enter the room for no real reason whatsoever. Or we want our names to resonate for work that we did 20 years ago or 15 years ago. But, but what, about, what about the children of tomorrow? So, Michael M. Hotel and um, your great yeah. show, I think my time is up. Thanks, um, let us, let's, but let's I'm asking this. your audience. Yes? Uh-huh. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Ask the audience. I'm asking your audience. To tell these people, NARC, Institute of the Black World, in uh, uh, um, Cobra, right, um, to to work with these brothers, to work with these mm-hmm. brothers. Otherwise, I, I, I otherwise, um, I'm just saying that uh, why are you still doing with uh, slave reparations? And I'm showing the re- I'm showing our people the reasons why it failed. So that means you want us to fail. You want us, you just want us to be in a feel-good mode, right? But but you got us in a, a mode of failure. We're not flat Earth people. This is this is going to affect the ch- our children, our children's children. Right. So tell these people if you're talking about reparations and you're not talking about the work of Dr. Issa, Brother Reggie, and Patrick Delises, you're not talking about nothing at all, right? And if you and if you and if you right. have a problem with my work, debate me, debate me. <laughs> That's all I ask. Debate me in writing. All right, or or let's have it. Let's have a forum which we ask for a town hall in Washington D.C. You think that your law is better? I bet you. I bet you you're going to move to human trafficking real quick. Because guess what? 
human trafficking laws are still on the books based on based right. on the same human trafficking laws from 1808. But guess what? They don't apply to us. Well, we don't make it apply to us. So I don't want to take any more time from the brilliant uh, no, no, no. David M. Hotel. No, I mean, David M. Hotel. Yeah, we, we have to come up. So Dr. David M. Hotel, hold the line. We're going to come to you in just a couple minutes. Just hold the line. Um, so, Brother Reggie, uh, we, it looks like we have two calls. They may have questions. I want to check these lines, uh, see if they have questions because they're in the queue. Um, and then, uh, once again, I want to give the name of these two articles. Now, I just posted these articles on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, okay? So people can go to our Facebook fan page. They can read the two articles that, that, that you referenced. The first one uh, was, from, uh, was published July 12, 2017, Reparations is Dead, How to Resurrect It. Okay, reparations is dead. How to resurrect it? That's by Dr. Jahi Issa, and we had the brother on uh, last week along with you, and brother Reggie Mabry, uh, who we're talking to right now. And then also, then now, uh, was this one also with, with Patrick Delisis? Did Patrick also help with this article as well? Yes, he did, but he wasn't okay. listed. You know, it's just you know the, the lines. But yes, he's uh, he's been my uh, okay. partner in this for for a while. So. And then it's the second okay. article. I want to mention this name. I want to mention this name. Then the second article is from BlackAgendaReport.com, August eighth, two thousand seventeen. So just like two months ago, uh, 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 that's called "Reparations Is Dead." Authors seek a u t h o r s. Reparations is dead. Authors seek to spark public discussion of new legal strategy. That's also at Black Agenda Report. Uh, dot com written by these three brothers as well. Okay, so definitely check out those two articles, and that deals a lot with what Brother Reggie was talking about. Okay, I want to get and then put up um and then put a link to the farmer Pelman, put a link to the film um the the Pelman farmer cases, uh so that they can uh-huh. read that so they can understand why right. reparations is dead. And, and, and that's in you, and that's in section eight of the first article that I gave. The information about that, and they can research it more, but at least it spells it out and everything there. That's section eight of that first article called "Reparations is Dead." And then that's the other it. website that's that you reference is scholar.google.com. S C H O L A R. Scholar.google.com, and they can research legal cases. There at, at that website, okay? Yeah, Google um, Scholar. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just Google, Google, and then up, Google Scholar. Well, when and it comes to the website, dot, yeah, scholar dot Google dot com is the actual because I have it up right now. That's the actual website, right. scholar dot Google dot com. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so let's go to the, we got a caller in the nine one eight area code. I just want to check, make sure they don't have a question. Um, let's see if they have a question. Caller in the nine one eight area code. Hold on. Do you have a question or comment or just listening to the? Show? Call in the nine one eight area code. Okay, so maybe they don't know. Call in the eight six four area code. Did you have a question or comment, or just listening to the show? Peace and love, hotel Uncle Jocelyn family. How are you guys? All right. What's your name? Where you calling from? This is Equine from calling from uh, South Carolina family. South Carolina. Okay. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. Did you have a question I, or just listen to the show? Yes, sir. I'm 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 just listening to the show. You know, I was uh you know okay. um uh, a, a listener back in the days when you had uh when when brother Ka- uh Kaba 
had changed his Com- name. Common So, uh, right, right. Yeah. And you were having yeah. that series. So, um, I, I want to, um, and yeah. I'm a big fan of the work of you and also Brother uh, Reggie and also, uh, you know, those brothers in the Amara squad oh, and, and, and those brothers on that sure. side that go real hard. But my question is this, mm-hmm. when we dare to talk about reparations versus that of mm-hmm. repatriation, um, we, we've, we've mm-hmm. heard, I guess, great leaders, great black leaders, I guess, hint or try to uh, have movements leading at either or both. Um, and, and I'm thinking about Marcus Garvey in which where he was saying about, hey, let's get the hell away from America and let's go back to where we came from. Um, I'm, I'm looking, and I have a list as we guys are discussing, um, as you guys are discussing the things that they wronged us in doing. Um, Greenwood, Oklahoma, 1921. Uh, St. Louis, 1917. Uh, right. Tennessee, 1864. You, you have a lot of those cases. And, and my question is, whenever we open up for the discussion of that of reparations, are we basically mm-hmm. looking for the European to say he's sorry? Or would this, uh, is this what the European would be doing inside, you know, getting reparations? And I want to know if, if, if that okay. is a, can we say that with, with the brutal force in which the European has used to acquire his power and wealth, can we sure. say that it will be just so easily given over, you know, just by asking okay. or by, you know, the, the, the situating of, different laws and things of that nature. Do we right. really feel like okay. they will ever accommodate us? All right. Let's, well, okay. Thanks uh, for the question. Well, Uncle Ross J. Uncle Ross So um, that's life, um, power, and stability, right? So we need, yes. we need, we need that so we can have Uncle Jocinab. So a lot of people say Uncle Jocinab, which is life, prosperity, and health, right? But we can't get right. that without power. So we need wise and we need stability. Um, so we we need stability. So I'm putting forth this case not for the white man to accommodate. There's two sides of this, uh, um, and you are and, and it's a brilliant question uh, from a well-studied person. So the the question is that I have two. It's a it's, it's the ballad of the bullet. I'm saying cracker. It's the ballad of the bullet. Like if you don't here's I'm I'm telling you now. I got you. You didn't violate your own laws. You you you. That's what you did. You broke your own federal laws, right? So the jig is up now. So now you're either going to accommodate us and give us, um, and give us the rights that we deserve, right? Or other. It's either or. Because, see, before slavery, okay, I understand this thing with the reparations and uh, you're not giving us reparations. I understand that. I understand your arguments. But now you broke your own law. You're the greatest human trafficker in the world. You, you use your own state's as you formed this so-called great nation, this world on this show knows that this nation formulated mm-hmm. itself on human trafficking. So now you are not going to, if you are not going to write this, you are not going to have any standing in the world. You can't cover this up. Why? Because there's scholars out here, there's young, bright scholars like yourself and others, right, who know that you broke your own law, so how could you give law when you're willing to break your own law? So I have to Best argument for them. It ain't about. Right. It ain't about. It ain't. It ain't. It ain't. It's for my salvation. It's for the salvation of my people. Then you're not going to be. I'm not going to be comfortable in your in your land 
And but but at the same time, the the African personality at the he's more broken than us. He believes in um he be, he he doesn't know the European like us. And they don't like see Dr. Easterham don't like me talking this. But I've been in Senegal, Ghana, Ivory Coast, and I've and I've been I don't went there with Dr. John Henry Clark and Dr. Jeffrey. Yeah, and, and, and Professor Smalls and others, right? right? I'm saying that those people right. over there they tell us to invest. And then they try to shake us down. Right? You ain't shaking me down. You ain't shaking my people who cross this Atlantic as saltwater Africans. And then I go back in there and then you spitting in my face and giving everything to the Chinese and the whites and everybody else. I'll knock you down before I knock down a European because of just the disrespect, the disrespect that you have of our people. Right? And so my whole thing is we're getting, sh- we're getting shaked down. We're going over there with our money, but they see it as American money. So we can't repatriate nothing without power. They have to respect us. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then the thing is, when I'm saying I'm their brother, so I will deal with them separately because you're giving our people's resources away. So you are violating. You're just violating us. You're giving the cobalt. You're giving the rubber. You're giving. You're you're giving the gold. You're giving the um. You're giving the oil. You're giving it for pennies, you suckers, right? And then when we come, you try to shake us down. The air, the airplane prices are expensive. The hotel prices are expensive. You promise us land, and you don't get us anything, right? And then when we get into your yeah. courts, you deny us the courts. Repatriation. Uh, we gonna deal, we'll deal with that on another show. I'm not that type of brother. Me myself. I'm sorry. Peace. All right. Okay, brother. Okay, brother. Thanks Thank for calling you. in. Okay. Keep listening. All right. All right. Okay. Thank brother, you. Fred, you. Thank you so day. much. Yeah. Oh, no, no problem. Bring on Doctor. Yep. Yep. I got. All right. The great Doctor Absolutely. Now, if can people. Email you uh, like if people want to get in contact with you, is that possible or what? What do people do? We we we're trying to listen. I mean, we need the people's help, but we haven't put the stuff together. The first thing is to read the articles and get educated, right? That's okay. That's the most right. important thing. Doctor Issa and myself will okay. formulate later. We we have a paper out. Okay. We hope that you buy it, but right. you can listen to the show. I'm I'm putting these hours in. I, I'm 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 solid in what I'm saying. Um, and so right. it ain't you, I mean, just but what I can ask the people to do is that when they start mm-hmm. talking about reparations, tell the people, where's Brother Reggie and where's Dr. Issa? At? Why y'all why y'all right. doing this to these right. brothers? Because, I mean, you why, what, what is it, brother? Right. Because your, your papers or do you have anything written that's more substantial than there? Are they wrong? Or can you can you de- can you debate them? Right. And I'm just saying, move them off the side because they're not playing fair. They're using their bourgeois, black bourgeoisness against us and marginalizing us for no reason whatsoever. All right, that's it for me. As you progress in this, come out with the papers. Uh, We'll bring you back on to let people, for you to give people the proper update that you want to give them, okay? All right, so uh, Brother Reggie, I got Dr. David M. Hotel coming up. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring them on, and I'll come back to you uh, in a couple minutes and let you ask any questions you have to Dr. David M. Hotel, okay? Okay. 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 All right, so just, just, just stand by. 
All right, so we've had this brother on the show before. Uh, he's the author of the book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. Uh, you've heard him here on the show. Uh, he and I, we've done two lectures together here in the Detroit area uh, as well. We want to welcome back to the African History Network show, uh, Dr. David M. Hotep. Hotep, brother, how you doing tonight? Hotep, how you doing? How y'all doing, family? And um, Brother Reggie, wow, that brother's on fire. <laughs> but it put him yeah. out. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Uh, I love hearing him <laughs> speak. He just makes me sit on the edge of my feet. And um, yes. and um, Dr. Uh, Issa is uh, also those brothers have done a phenomenal job, a phenomenal work. Um, the information that they bring to us is priceless. And um, right. I'd like to be a part of it somehow, you know, some kind, some kind of way of uh, help or I don't know what I could do. But, um, you know, if, if it's not anything but refer them to people, I, I'll, I'll do that. But, uh, love those brothers and um, see them do well. Absolutely, absolutely. That's very important. Um, well, look, man, I, I you know, I talked to you, we talked, uh, what, a couple of days ago, and um, I emailed you a couple of things we're going to do tonight. And then we have our brother Deshaun Farrar coming up in the last segment of the show tonight also. Uh, we're going to talk about the Black Women's March that took place September 30th. Uh, 2017 in Washington, D.C. So a few things. Uh, first of all, I sent you an article from uh, Newsweek.com that came out uh, September 29, 2017, called Ancient Fossils Reveal the First Humans Emerged 170,000 Years Earlier Than We Thought. Ancient Fossils Reveal the First Humans Emerged 170,000 years earlier than we thought. So we're going to talk about that some tonight. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about any new developments with your, your book. I know you have a, um, a, re, um, a, um, uh, um, a revised version coming out uh, soon. It has about 200 uh, extra pages in it as well. The first Americans were Africans, uh, documented evidence. What's, what's the name of the new book? What's the working title of the new book? The first Americans were Africans revisited. Like my spiritual father, um, Dr. Ivan Van Sertigan, who did a, a book or two, and he called, he uh, went back and rewrote them and called them revisited. So I just want to step in his shoes, walk in his foot trails. Right, right. Okay, so the first Americans were Africans, documented evidence revisited. Okay. And uh, oh. Dr. David M. Hotepi, the, oh, say that again? Michael, it's the first Americans yeah. were Africans revisited. Oh, first Americans were Africans book. revisited. Okay, yes, the sir. first Americans were Africans yes, revisited. Okay, and that's coming out what? Yeah, hopefully late this year, sometime uh, yeah. or early next year. Uh, okay, hopefully this year. all right, and hopefully this year. Okay, yes, and uh, Dr. David Mhotepi has a PhD in ancient African history. Is that correct? That's right, and I, I don't have an honorary degree. Okay, right. I, I had to work seven long years for this, and it was blood, sweat, and tears. It was worse than summer football practice. We went three a days for three weeks, almost a month, in the sun, okay? But right, well, some that, are... that degree was harder <laughs> than that, bro, I'll tell you. Right. And, and which college is that from, so people know? That was from Union University in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is okay. an accredited, Ohio. accredited institution. Right. It took you seven years, and it wasn't cheap either, man, because you and I talked about that. <laughs> oh, I had my run out a couple times. I felt like shooting somebody. What'd you say? I said, uh, evening, sir. I said I had my gun out a couple of times. I wanted to shoot a couple of professors. 
Right. <laughs> it, was, it was rough. It was, it was it was not fair, but, you know, I'm black. They didn't like my subject, but uh, they finally had to swallow the pride, and I had to give me my, my degree. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, uh, so I got Brother Reggie holding because uh, Brother Reggie is an excellent researcher. He had, he had a couple questions for you. I want to bring Brother Reggie back on. Okay, Brother Reggie, you still there? Brother Reggie. Yes, I'm still Okay. Hello, Reg. Okay, so. <laughs> Can you hear me? Well, yes. Okay. Um, yes, I do. So, Dr. David Imhotep, the last time I think I heard you present was actually Michael Imhotep was there too. It was at the ASCAT conference, I think. Uh, uh, oh, okay. It, it was. Yeah, it was that ASCAT conference? Where was that? That was uh, local. That was in um, Jersey. Where was that? that is, uh, Essex County. I think that was New Jersey. Essex. Essex. Uh, Essex. Uh, uh, college in New Jersey. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, and so, of course, your work is always uh, great work, uh, and it's definitely rooted in uh, scientific uh, facts. Um, I, um, so, I'm just uh, interested in just a little clarification in, uh, in just in some terms, right? Now, how significant is your work uh, with the Neanderthal admixture? Uh, how significant is it? Yes. How significant is the ad, um, the Neanderthal admixture? Well, um, they were what uh, three quarters human and one quarter beast, and um, uh, Africans, from what I understand, uh, do not have that uh, mixture in them. African continental Africans, however, the ones that went up into uh, into Europe and uh, mixed with them um, did get some mixture in them. From what I understand, but there's a little problem with that. Um, I also read from uh, Dr. Um, uh, Winters that uh, the the um, all people um, came out of Africa, and that included, he said, uh, Neanderthal. So um, I think that needs to be looked into more by by people like Dr. Winters and other folks who have that expertise. You're referring to Dr. Clyde what? Winters. Clyde Winters, yes, sir. Brilliant, okay, brilliant, brilliant. He, he, brilliant. You cite him. No, he's, uh, ahead, he, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. So, but we have to see the thing is, uh, uh, not not you, <laughs> Dr. Uh, Imhotep, not you. Uh, but what happens is, okay, so then we have Savante uh, Pablo of the Max Planck Institute, and they have a sequence that the genome of the Neanderthal. And they have... Uh, what they, their conclusions are is that the Neanderthal was never in Africa, but there is a mm-hmm. common ancestor called Homo hadapagansis. Homo hadapagansis is um, has uh, sets of uh, uh, um, descendants. Some in in Africa and those in Africa continue to um, admix with other African um, groups of human um, humans in Africa to create homo sapien sapien and then um and then outside of africa there was a neanderthal and a denisovan and so what happens is the african he leaves africa several times uh maybe 60,000 years uh maybe he leaves on a side where morocco uh during one part of the ice age where they can cross over and he leaves again about 30 to 45,000 years he winds up in canaan 
And when he winds up in there, he meets the Neanderthal. And in the African male, he, uh, he procreates with the Neanderthal female. And then they have an admixed, uh, uh, admixture child. So now, so what I'm trying to, uh, so, cause like, for example, the native Americans, the native Americans mm-hmm. have a huge, uh, they have a huge ne- uh, Neanderthal pack with them. Now I'm not saying of course that some Africans did not admix with them. And, uh, but, 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 um, I'm just trying to figure out uh, from your work, are you now using uh, Cervante Pablo's work on um, genome sequencing and stuff like that? What was your question, brother? Are you, are you taking into account Cervante Pablo's uh, work on Neanderthal gene sequencing? No, I'm not because in, I have not read that. I haven't read him yet. Um, one one oh. little thing, though, that uh, that I'd like to add was that uh, there mm-hmm. were a few things left out. We have first we have um, Neanderthal, then Homo afarensis, Homo habilis, Homo erectus, and then Homo sapien. Now there have been mm-hmm. a couple more new ones that have been um, that have been added to that list, and I'm sure there'll be more as we as we dig deeper and harder. Oh yes, but then what happens is that um, some of those what we're looking at is when which groups actually leave Africa. Now Diop, he does something called the Grimaldi man, but Diop in his civilization of barbarism, he doesn't take into account admixing. He doesn't he doesn't either have the evidence, so he doesn't see the admixture of man mixing with the Neanderthal and the Denisovan. So he 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 does not uh uh, so he deals with the Grimaldi man, but his his paradigm is not as uh, as well established, or uh, well, oh, sorry, not accepted. It's well established, but it's not accepted now. So um, I'm just accepted uh, by whom? Huh? Accepted by whom, sir? Oh, um, by oh. by the scientific by the scientific community. Hmm. Only that part of the Grimaldi man. I'm only not. I'm not talking about all of Diop's work. I'm just talking about the issue of the Grimaldi man. He has he oh, has this whole notion of the, uh, the of the Grimaldi man becoming the European. The Grimaldi man so, becomes the, the out of African, right? And that's so his so premise. You, so you're talking about. Yeah, just just so ready, yeah. just so people understand yeah. who are listening who and they may have never heard this before. So you're talking about the the Africans maybe about fifty, sixty thousand years ago getting caught in the worm ice age and the Correct. theory that their skin Correct. starts to depigment to adapt to the environment and for the ultraviolet rays of sun to come in and convert uh uh to vitamin D three. And they start to uh, become European. They start to be pigment. Their nose gets narrower. Things like this. That theory. That's what you're referring to. Just so people Correct. understand. But he, right. But he does that through environmental issues. He doesn't do that with the admixture of the Neanderthal. That is what. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't take that into issue. account. He doesn't that's take that issue. into account. Yes, that's correct. Yes. Right. That's correct. Right. Okay. Go so, ahead. So. So now, now we have this new stuff coming out with the sequencing of the Neanderthal, and and so mm-hmm. we have groups of people with huge uh, 
Neanderthal package. And then I, I, I speculate uh, that, they, uh, well, I already talked about it as being the Neanderthal Eve. Um, we have the African Eve. I've seen uh, some of them birth. walking around the streets. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so you have, brother, because it strikes me. When I look at them in the face, oh, my God. It's, it's just un- so, uncanny. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, so, well, so, so, I don't think that they. Uh, uh, so we have many Eves. We have uh, many types of Eves. So we have the Neanderthal Eve, and then we have other admixture uh, uh, Eves. But so that was the only thing. I just look. I'm a, um, I'm a fan of your work, and anything else that we can talk about uh, in uh, in private, because I think that your work is uh, certainly um, look. I mean, everybody loves. Uh, they came before Columbus. Uh, by Dr. Ivan Van Sertema, but your work is uh, is is much more uh, not much more is much is 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 is, is scientific. It's 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 different. Yeah, it's, it, it's it goes further. Yes. Yeah, and he's able to he's yeah. able to go further than Dr. Ivan Van Sertema was in 1976 because there's been just so much more research, ton of discoveries, things like this. So he he was able to go further than Dr. Ivan Van Sertema was, you know, over uh, 41 years ago as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Reason, so I'm a reason. Yes, that's the only reason I've been able to go further because of the DNA and things like that. Because that man was brilliant. Exactly. Well, he, exactly. he was, but it was it it, it was um, he was a, a brilliant thinker and he had uh, information um, from uh, ancestors that he put together. Now the issue is the issue is to make it uh, plausible and to match it with the which to match it with the DNA. Right, and because we do have other people who uh, actually have um, pretty, um, pretty good, um, uh, you know, they they debated. I've watched the debates. Um, I watched. Um, so they they some of the stuff they have impeached. So um, like you know he talks about, you know he talks about Abu Bakr going across, uh, taking thousands of Africans to the New World. I'm not saying. That certainly didn't happen, but they take it from the story of Mansa Musa, and then but you have to deal with what was the boat technology, right? And what was the level of possible surviving of them? I'm not saying, of course, it did not happen. I'm not saying that the African uh, from West Africa did not make it. Um, I don't know if they made it in that numbers because you know crossing the ocean with river boats uh, that's a whole that's a that's a that's 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 huge. But um, but um, but your work is uh, certainly uh, certainly helps these cases of Africans visiting and being part of the experience in the uh, uh, in the uh, in the in the new world. So um, so um, I appreciate your work. Thank you very much, Seth. Absolutely. Very, very much, Seth. Coming from you, brother. Thank you. Well, I, no, I'm an honor. I'm trying to be an honorary. You the PhD, <laughs> so I'm. But but I'm in the struggle. I'm your brother. So continue to work. Uh, so that was pretty much it on my on my part. Just just talking about the work because you know every once in a while, you know we get a European and he jumps out and he wants to debate our work right just to knock it down. He's feeling himself. So I just want to make sure that we that we cover right. all of our bases. Yeah, put him back in the cradle. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or the cave. All right, brother Reggie. <laughs> All right. Ouch. All right, brother Reggie, keep listening, man. I'll keep listening, okay? <laughs> All, All right. right, peace. Thanks. Peace to y'all. All right. Peace.
Okay, so all right, so that's David M. Hotel. Um, I sent you an article. Um, I you know, I wasn't able to give him. Go, I go thought ahead, we were going to do primary and secondary comment. sources. I just wanted to. I, I went through my book a little bit. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about that also. Oh, okay. We'll talk go about ahead. that as well. well you, um, if you want to start with that, you can go ahead and start with that primary oh, secondary sources. You, you do your thing. Okay, so uh, I sent you an article uh, from Newsweek.com. Um, September twenty is from September twenty ninth, two thousand seventeen, entitled "Ancient Fossils Reveal the First Humans Emerged One Hundred Seventy Thousand Years Earlier Than We Thought." Okay. And right. as, I, as I explain to people, and, you know, I teach an online course, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Um, as um, I, I tell people, you know, the deeper they dig, the blacker the planet gets. The more uh-huh. research they do, the older they get. You know, the deeper they, the deeper they dig, the blacker the planet gets. The uh, <laughs> more research, the older we get. Okay? So, yes, sir. Uh, the, I'm going to share the first paragraph um, of this article. And there are archaeological discoveries that are coming out, man, basically uh, every month, okay? But um, the first paragraph says, uh, the first modern humans may have emerged up to 350,000 years ago. This is 170,000 years earlier, earlier than previous thought. 170,000 years earlier than previously thought. Analysis of of ancient DNA has allowed scientists to trace back the the ancestry of people from South Africa to to determine when our ancestors split from other hominin species, H-O-M-I-N-I-N, other hominin species. Their findings consistently point to an early date of divergence between 350,000 years ago to uh, between 350,000 years ago to 260,000 years ago, okay? Um, well, between 350,000 years and 260,000 years ago. Uh, so, so they go on to say that how and when modern humans first emerged as a species is a major unanswered question and paleoanthropology because the fossil record is incomplete. At present, the oldest human remains we have date back 195,000 years ago. But these are not necessarily the first ever Homo sapiens, and the origin of our ancestry remains a mystery. That's the first two paragraphs. So go ahead and, and, and comment uh, uh, on this and, and what your research shows. Okay, well... I'm going to go backwards here. Um, the um, okay. Asians come from a mixture of of black and white, and the whites come from a uh, time in the in the uh, deep mountains and um, crevices of Europe during the Ice Age when they lost the color. Um, but what mm-hmm. we have what we have for sure here is that there were no people. For those two people, and and uh, as far as the Caucasians, who were the second people on the planet, um, it seems, and this is from DNA, um, Carvelli Schwarzer, who was a prominent, eminent DNA geneticist, who's one of the best they said in, in the in the world, um, an Italian fellow, and he wrote a book called mm-hmm. The History and Geography of Human Genes, 
and I know what you're. Yeah, I know you know what I'm coming to, and that is um, DNA genetically speaking. There was no white skin on this planet before 3000 BC. Now we're just talking about 3000 BC, going back farther than far, 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 much farther than 3000 BC. Are the um, the uh, the the I'm trying to say the Homo sapiens, modern man, now goes back to 350,000 years, not 3,000. But 350,000 right. years, and that's just modern man. That's not in archaic men, you know, who were who were late, maybe 80% or 85% modern. He's go, you know, like I said, the Af- Homo afarensis, Homo erectus, and Homo habilis. So, you know, those right. fellows were were able to do things and think and walk up upright, um, but uh, they weren't as as um, as far along as being modern as uh, the Homo sapiens. So, 350,000, Mike is is even 260,000 is a phenomenal, a phenomenal jump backwards, and I, I guarantee it will continue to go back further. Exactly, and and you know a uh, couple things. So uh, first of all, when you talk about, uh, so some people say that Europeans were the last people on the face of the earth, okay, or what they may commonly call race. But the concept of race basically evolves over a 300-year period of time, 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries. Um, humanity, the, the concept of race is a relatively new thing. So when you, when you talk about how Europeans were the second race on the planet, this basically contradicts what a lot of people have been taught. So what is the scientific uh, basis for that assertion that Europeans were the second race on, on on the planet, and is that then saying that the people who we call Native Americans are uh, much more recent than what we've been taught? For instance, when you deal with the Clovis culture discovery, which dates back in, in uh, I think it's New Mexico, Clovis culture in New Mexico. So right. we're told this was the right. oldest. Uh, evidence of modern man in the U.S. That's based upon based upon standard archaeology, which is basically white archaeology. Based upon standard archaeology, they say that the Clovis culture is the uh, oldest uh, site or oldest civilization in this country of modern man that dates back somewhere between thirteen to 15,000 years ago, okay? So uh, who, who were those people also if uh, Native Americans are younger than, um, say, 5,000 years ago? The Native Americans, the Native Americans, mm-hmm. the youngest people on the planet. Because the Native Americans... Mm-hmm. Right, because they come from a mixture of Asians who came over here from their own book, the Wallam Olam, their own most most um, revered book, revered book is is the Wallam Olam, and they they say that they came over from Asia, twenty six hundred BC. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, so somewhere around they, 3, they, BC. They came yeah. out supposedly. They came out from a a mixture of. Of, of black folks and white folks, and you talk about mm-hmm. the um, you know the you've seen the mongoloid babies, 
Yeah. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. There's a whole nation called Mongolia. Um, right. Every so-called race has mongoloids in it, even even black folks. But they, some some person somewhere wrote that um, there was a, a high incidence of Mongol, Mongolism in the mongoloids and the Asians. Now, obviously, obviously, they're they're not mongoloids now because they are some of the most brilliant people on the planet, Chinese and Japanese. You know, um, I was looking today where they have sent uh, several um, um, satellites and, and uh, I'm sorry, not satellites, but actually uh, missiles to the moon and landed on the moon. Several of them, not one or two. So Chinese are up there. You know, this, this fellow over in, um, uh, what is his name, uh, over in South Korea? That 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 that. Oh, oh, oh Kim Jong. I mean North Korea. Oh, yeah. South Korea or North Korea? North Korea. Kim Jong Un. North Korea, because we're in yeah, South North Korea. Korea. Yeah, uh, yeah Kim Jong Un. He's, he's just starting to his missile program. China's been in a long time. So mm-hmm. uh, these people are some brilliant people as well. But um, uh, you'll you, we'll, we'll we'll go back to see that from what I understand through my teachers, uh, Doctor Doctor Shekanta Joe, Ivan Van Sertima. Dr. Ben and those type of people, um, but especially, uh, uh, I'd say, uh, Dr. Winters and Dr. Jill, who work uh, scientifically through with scientific minds and, and scientific evidence, that um, what, I've, what, what they seem to think was it was black first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, five million, one, five million, two, anyway, for millions of years, black folks on the planet. And then, through a freak of nature, Oh, a, a horrible winter that lasted tens of thousands of years changed many of those black folks that were caught up in the worm ice age they up in um, right. Um, right. northern Europe. Okay? And I said many, most, but I did not say all because they found pockets of black folks still up there who did not change their color. Why? Because they were living by the Caspian Sea or some of those other seas up there where we're uh, close to their uh, water source so they could get fish and get their vitamin D, D3 and other things of that nature. They needed to keep their color. So we see that what? color is a, is a thing that comes with your environment. You know, the closer you are to the, the, um, the uh, equator, the darker you're going to be because your, 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 your skin changes the color to give out the melanin to, to save your skin from, from these pro- problems with uh, too much radiation, et cetera, et cetera. And as you go up north, the most, the most um, um, uh, healthy thing to be is a lighter and lighter and lighter because of, uh, of that um, uh, area. And they, you know what? Uh, they, they did uh, do a study with... Um, in um, uh, I think it was the Korean War, uh, they did a study right. that um, they had uh, blacks, black folks and white folks in a, um, a ditch, well, what do you call it, foxhole, and um, they found that the white fellows were able to, to uh, stand the cold six to ten times longer uh, than than uh, black fellows, they couldn't. Black fellows couldn't stand the cold like white fellows. Could. So they, you know, their noses adapted to that. Their buttocks, uh, you know, um, got skinnier because they they needed more uh, nutrition. There wasn't much nutrition up there in those uh, Arctic areas, and um, we, you know, it's the the evidence is overwhelming that uh, depending upon your your uh, your place of uh, birth 
and where your ancestors have uh, have um, been living um, gives you your color and uh, your shape, body shape, um, your height, and and um, sometimes it's saying now even your DNA that crosses over into a uh, next uh, generation. Right. And, and right. So you adapt to environment in your brain. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not just talking right. about you bones. I'm talking about you know uh, preferences for for different things comes through DNA. Right. That's exactly. one of the newest. Exactly. You you adapt to environment. Yeah. Just one second. Uh, Deshaun Farad, we have Deshaun coming up uh, in the next episode. Deshaun, just hold the line. We're gonna bring you on at the top of the hour. Okay. We're running behind. Just hold the line, Deshaun. We're gonna bring you on at the top of the hour. We're gonna talk about the Black Women's March that took place uh, September 30th, 2017, in Washington D.C. Hundreds of African American women came together to uh, protest on behalf of their issues. Right now we're speaking with Dr. David M. Hotep, who wrote the book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. Uh, his new book that's coming out is called The First Americans Were Africans Revisited. The First Americans Were Africans Revisited, okay? You listen to the African History Network show. We're broadcasting on the Blog Talk, Blog Talk Radio Network, B-L-O-G, Blog Talk Radio Network um, uh, on our channel, uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash the African History Network show, blogtalkradio.com forward slash the African History Network show. Also on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network. If you're watching on uh, Facebook, share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in. You can also call in and listen by phone, area code 914-338-1375, 914-338-1375. You can call in and listen by phone as well. Okay, Dr. David M. Hotep, um, uh, go ahead and continue, and I'm going to give out a couple articles also. Then we'll get to primary and secondary sources. Okay. Um, did you have a question or something you'd like me to cover? Because I could go uh, Well, okay, yeah, so let's, let's do this. Uh, uh, first of all, we were talking about this article from Newsweek.com, um, and also this should relate to uh, the discovery that came out uh, June 7th uh, from Morocco, okay? So in uh, Morocco, uh, you had um, a discovery of skeletons of Homo sapiens that uh, are said to date back between 300,000 to 350,000 years ago, okay? And uh, the article from news from the article from NBCNews.com says this is uh, 100,000 100, years earlier than scientists have believed uh, until now. They said uh, new discoveries and new dating methods show that in fact many of the bones belong to modern Homo sapiens, and they lived as far back as 300,000 or 350,000 years ago. And they said the earliest previous Homo sapien bones date back 195,000 years ago, and they're from clear across the continent in modern-day Ethiopia. So this is causing them, this is causing scientists and anthropologists and archaeologists to have to rethink everything and have to rethink early migrations of African people as well, because they thought that the oldest uh, remain, oldest skeletons date back to Ethiopia, and that people then migrated from Ethiopia. Uh, after 195,000 years ago, but now you have now you have skeletons dating back 300,000, 350,000 years ago in Morocco. Okay, so this discovery came out back uh, about June 7, 2017. You can read the article from NBCNews.com where older than we thought 
new find pushes human origin back 100,000 years. We're older than we, than we thought. New find pushes origin back 100,000 years. And um, also uh, June 7, 2017, Washington Post has an article, Oldest Homo Sapiens Fossils Discovered in Morocco. Oldest Homo Sapiens Fossils Discovered in Morocco. Okay. Uh, go ahead, brother. Okay. Um, these um, are the oldest ones they've found so far. Just like before right. they were okay. discovered, the only oldest one so far was in Ethiopia. But what they seem right. to think is that uh, um, they go along with what the e- Egyptians said, that uh, they came from the beginning of the Nile, mm-hmm. from the beginning of the Nile, down near Lake, um, what is it, the Lake, uh, Lake, Lake Victoria? Nianza. Well, yeah, Nianza. Yeah, the Congo, Tanganyika, they seem to think the oldest yeah, bones going part. back. Mm-hmm. All right, what'd you say? Yeah, that's what Europeans call it, Lake Victoria, but that, I think that was right. Nianza. Uh, oh, yeah, no we doubt. came from the foothills no of the doubt. mountain of the moon. We came from the foothills exactly. of the mountain of the moon. Exactly. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so uh, they seem to think it comes near the, the, the beginning of the Nile, which is down down there um, um, in, in uh, near Kenya or in Kenya. And yeah. um, yep. um, they they have found those bones to have uh, replicated into different types of human beings, going from and I, I know this is gonna hurt people, but from from the ape, I know it's gonna hurt you. But where did the where did this plant come from? Let alone where did the oceans and the the, the rivers and the and the lakes and the land come from? You know, we came from mm-hmm. the explosion of our sun. And then we come out and um, out, out of the sun, and we're, we're bits of balls of fire, and those balls of fire are hurled through the universe, and they start to cool, and they start to um, take shape. You have earth, and from the vapors, you, have, you get the waters in the sky, and then you get insects, you get fish. Then you have fish that are that are able to crawl up onto the land, such as the crocodile, mm-hmm. the porpoises, who have big brains, probably the dolphins first, then the porpoises. The dolphin is a fish. The porpoise looks very much like a um a dolphin, but he's able to to come up on the land a little bit and, and do his fishing and go back in in uh, the water. And then you have some creatures that came up and, and liked it on land and they stayed on land and they slowly changed. Mm-hmm. So this is going with science. I do not discuss the Bible. I will not discuss the Bible. I will not be questioned about the Bible. <laughs> I don't bother people don't bother with what they believe in, and I don't want them to bother me with what I believe in. So um, my, right. my search is what you can, where you can feel, taste, touch, measure, smell, feel. That is my. That's that's what that's 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 what I. Um, that's the family I come from. Right. Okay. So, so you're dealing with scientific evidence. Absolutely. Okay. All right. <laughs> now, do you deal with all this in your book, The First American? Do you deal with this in your first book, The First Americans Were Africans: Documented Evidence? Mm, a little bit of it, but um, much more of it is in the uh, the new book. And the new book, oh boy, um, we're, we're going to be my, my my PR man and I are going to be going into some um, some dangerous territory. And that is, uh, oh. <laughs> um, I've got first of all, I've got to make a statement that um, I have 
Arapaho on my father's side, and I have Navajo hmm. on my mother's side. So okay. I have Indian blood in me. But where did the Indians right. come from? Where did they come from? They came from they're the, they're the offspring they're of the, the intermixing of Africans from. and Asians. And we mm-hmm. all came from. Even white folks came from Africa, you know, by way of Europe, who, who got bleached. You know what I'm saying? So um, we, we, we have to look at uh, their saying that they're, they're a little off base here, where when I go to uh, powwows, I always ask around, you know, um, can you tell me where your people came from? Oh, we've always been here. As they say, you know, in a kind right. of uh, condescending way, we've always been here. And I said, uh, well, how do you know that? Oh, through our sacred stories. I said, well, I can't question your sacred stories, so I just walk off. Uh, if they don't have a better answer than that, then I walk off. But um, what I have found was that uh, the DNA shows a different story. The DNA in mm-hmm. um, uh, the Native Americans um, uh, matches uh, with the DNA of the Africans in, in Africa and also the, the Africans in, in the Americas, but it does not match with Asians, okay? So we have a difference going there. Say, say, say that again. Say that again. Say that again. From what I've seen, the DNA in Native Americans, dark Native mm-hmm. Americans, not the Asian Native Americans, matches that of their African ancestors in Africa. But the Asians, okay, doesn't directly match to those in Africa. It does in, in, in some centers of, of DNA, but not a whole DNA group. You see, because it's been so long since they were in Africa, where, whereas in, with Americans, I'm sorry, Native um, Black Americans, they haven't, they haven't, some of them, I would say, the, the, the ones uh, um, who uh, came directly from Africa. And, you know, what was it? Somebody, somebody on your show said, um, um, <laughs> that um, the, the, the brothers and sisters who, who came uh, indirectly from Africa are not Africans? Didn't somebody say that on your show? Uh, so, so I think something to that effect. Well, they, they said they didn't come directly from Africa. The ones that came here, the, uh, like the Khoisan, they didn't come directly from Africa. Um, so, I didn't. It, it, but go, go ahead and explain. So, so the, the Africa, you deal Africa, with so what it, they do? Skip all, go all the way up to, uh, it, I mean, the, lo- the largest continent in the world. Skip that continent, so, so let me Europe, and then go over. I don't think so. Let me explain this for people that are not familiar with this. So, in your book, you talk mm-hmm. about how. You talk about the discovery from Dr. Uh, Albert Goodyear in 2004 in uh, South Carolina and how it shows a uh, presence of, how it shows evidence of humans in the land today we call South Carolina going back at least 51,700 years ago. And they found architecture, artifacts, campsites, uh, footprints in lava, genetic M174D haploid groups dealing with DNA and genetics. They found carvings, uh, paintings, um, uh, linguistics, uh, tools, skulls, skeletons, uh, 13 different disciplines thoroughly documenting a human presence. Okay, so you talk about this being the... Arrowheads, yeah. So you talk about this being the Khoisan 
who come from Southern Africa and basically have the oldest DNA on the planet. Is that correct? Khoisan, the Twa, uh, and the uh, and Ainu. They're all related and they're oh. all short. Yeah, the short statured people. Okay. So, yes, uh, uh, okay, so when these Africans come here, where are they coming from? When they come to the coming land, from they, let me South be Africa, specific. From, from Middle Africa, okay. from North Africa, from the Mediterranean, by, by, I'm sorry, from Egypt, by the way of Mediterranean, from, uh, and also mm-hmm. from, from Europe, from Greenland to, to, um, to um, from Greenland to Iceland to, I'm sorry, from, from, what is it, uh, Holland and, and Scandinavia to Greenland to, I'm sorry, to Iceland, that's in between those two, um, then to Greenland, then over to um, uh, uh, Canada and down into the Americas. So they came from all over. Okay. And there are some okay, short, so that, so that. short descendants up in uh, near the North Pole. And you look at the, um, the Eskimos. They're not white, and they're shorter than regular people. Yeah, the Did you know that? Yeah. Say that again? Yeah, the Inuit. The Eskimos, who are the people in the northern parts of the world, are shorter than regular right. people, and they are, they are not white. They don't have a white uh, skin. You would think they would, but they don't. They have a, um, no, a well, uh, tannish, uh, uh, brownish skin. Eskimos. Right. They're well, not they were white. Able to, they were able to. They were able to keep their complexion because they have a diet rich in fish, so they get vitamin Solely. D from the fish. Solely of fish. Say it again. Solely of fish. Yeah. There's no deer up there in those ice, yeah, or you know, there's no there's no other animals but aquatic animals to 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 live on. Right. So right? that's how that's how they were able to that's how they were able to keep uh, a darker oh. complexion because mm-hmm. they're able to get vitamin D from from the fish, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So Dr. just Dr. Uh, very quick, just hold, it. just just one second here. Okay. Thanks. So we're gonna stop live streaming at the top of the hour, in about ninety seconds. You can continue to listen to the show live. Call in and listen by phone nine one four three three eight thirteen seventy five nine one four three three eight thirteen seventy five. If you're watching on Facebook Live, you can continue to watch on Facebook Live. If you're listening. Uh-huh. Uh, via internet through Blog Talk Radio is going to stop live stream is going to stop broadcasting in 60 seconds. You can continue to listen to the rest of the show. Call in now. You have to call in before we stop broadcasting uh, live on the internet. Call in now 914-338-1375. 914-338-1375. Brother the Deshaun name of my Farad book that's said, coming out next year or late this year is The First Americans Were Africans Revisited. Yeah, I'm going to come back to you. Yeah, I'm going to come back to you. Just, just a second. You're not right. going anywhere. I'm going to come back to you. Right. Brother Deshaun, stand by. We're going to bring you on after Dr. David M. Hotel. Deshaun, don't hang up. Stay on the line. We've got you locked in. We're going to come to you after Dr. David M. Hotel. We, we, we still have a few more minutes. Still got some more minutes with you, Dr. David M. Hotel. So don't, don't worry. Okay. Just don't hang up. Okay. So. Um, so the Africans are coming uh, in different waves to this land we call the United States of America, and they're coming from Southern Africa. They're coming from uh, other places. What, what are some of those other places they're coming from besides South Africa? Central Africa, Northern Africa, 
Europe, and um, um, as far as uh, up as um, um, the Netherlands, coming over to uh, from the Netherlands to Iceland to into to the Greenland and and uh, then to the Americas in kayaks, because it's not that far if you're jumping from island to island. Okay, you said in kayaks, so they're sailing, is what you're saying. Oh, I'm saying that they have paddles, paddled kayaks. You like the Eskimo right. kayaks? I mean, like well, the Eskimo kayaks? well, they're in boats. They're in boats, and they're in yes. the, and they're yes. with paddles. Yes. They're, yes. they're in boats. Okay. So what evidence have you seen or what evidence do you talk about in your book to show that they were in boats with paddles? What evidence do I have that um, you'll find paddled boats from all the way from um, – to even today, um, in the like I say, the Netherlands, Sweden, um, those areas, mm. and in and the people in Iceland, and the people in Greenland, and the people in uh, indigenous people now, the people in um, okay. In, uh, so so they're finding Canada. they're finding paddle boats that date back thousands of years. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that they're even using them today. I have a kayak. I have two kayaks. Right. And there's some people who who who, who use them as a a, a, um, a a boat instead of a large boat. They have kayaks that that they can go uh, many 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 miles during the day. Many miles. Okay. Especially if they okay. catch the current. Okay. So uh, you okay? So you talked about uh, you wanted to talk about primary and secondary sources. Okay, because you said you use both in your book, is that correct? Yes. Okay, so go ahead, go ahead, go ahead and talk about that primary and secondary sources and some of your sources. A primary source. What is a primary source? A primary source is if uh, you go to um, um, an ice cream vendor, vendor, and you see him make the ice cream, and you eat it. <laughs> You're a primary source, a primary ice cream eater. That's a primary source. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go home and tell your mother that you had a wonderful ice cream, um, and it, it was it was red and the cone was was tan, and you had a nice napkin around it, it was it was cold to the taste, and um, uh, you you want to get it every day, then that is a secondary source. So my book is made up of primary as well as secondary sources, and a few of the primary sources, which are the best, are um, for, uh, our, I, I swam um, the Bimini Road and got pictures of uh, me underwater and, and, and seeing the, the Bimini Road. And um, uh, that is a primary source because I saw it, I touched it, okay? Mm-hmm. I swam with it, Bimini Road, which is one mile off of, of the island of Bimini. Um, another cl- uh, uh, primary source is I climbed uh Largest Indian mound in North America, which is uh, 16 miles out of North End um, of St. Louis. And um, by the way, when you're talking about Indian mounds, uh, a famous um, uh, person by the name his name was John W. Powell, uh, Powell appointed Cyrus Thomas to be the director of the Indian, the, I'm sorry, the Eastern Mound Division in the Smithsonian Institute. Right? Everyone knows how famous that is from the Smithsonian Institute's Bureau of Ethnology. So Cyrus Thomas commented on the Indian mounds in America, and he said from his experience, quote, there was a race of mound builders in America 
the strength from American Indians. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, who, you talk about who that was in the Americas? Yeah. American Indians didn't do it, so who else were they distinct from? Only one people. Original Africans. These were not, African people. Not, not Native Americans that right. had been mixed with Asians. You see what I right. mean? Right. So... So these were pure African. These were pure African people um, uh, that right. he's referring to a, a, right. a race of people distinct from the Native Americans. These were people who built the mounds. Okay, exactly. Uh, explain to explain to people what the mounds or Indian mounds were. Explain to people what this was. Oh, okay. Um, well, first of all, there there's several different types of mounds. There's Animal effigy mounds where people made um, uh, this. It's going to be on my matter of fact. I, I didn't tell you, my um, we, we've run through a string of luck. We're going to, I think, we're going to be able to start our, our tours to Bimini to see the Bimini Road, uh, which is a 600 okay. yard long um, um, pier along with a uh, 600 yard long breakwater that are now 30 feet under the water, which means they had to be there before the last ice age ended 11 to 9,000 years ago, which means no Europeans or Asians or anyone but black people made those uh, things. So we'll be doing that. So your question was again? Um, When you talk about the uh, Indian mounds, what exactly are the Indian mounds? Because some people, this is the first they're hearing about it. So what, what exactly are the Indian mounds? There are five different types. There's a, like I was getting ready to say, uh, Indian mound that's shaped like animals or fish, just like they have in in, uh, the Bahamas, in in Bimini specifically. Then you have an Indian mound that is next to a river that is very, very high. Um, I I can't say the Indian mounds, they're African mounds. So I'm I'm, I'm just saying Indian mounds, you identify what I'm talking about. So let me say African mounds. They're African mounds, of course, in Mali. Uh, along the Niger River, and they 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 use them those mounds during the um, the floods during the rainy season. They live on top of the mounds and they they fish on top of the mounds and uh, they they they're able to uh, launch the boats, of course, from top of the mounds. Whereas they would have to be miles and miles away from their land uh, if they did not uh, create the mounds. They'd have to go far inland. Um, there are mounds that um, people would use, uh, make and put temples on top of them. And then there's my favorite mound, and that would be the mounds that people live in. Now, the mounds that people live in are a little different. Mounds that people live in are not uh, mountains where you go in and, and hollow out the mountain. That would be almost impossible to do. What it's, what it's made of is it's made of a skeleton of gigantic slabs of, of rock. And you have, let's just say, um, I'm sure some of you uh, with, with a deck of cards you would build a little a card house. You would put two cards uh, up uh, vertically, and then you put one card on top of it um, horizontally, and you have a little a little uh, shelter that that you built. Well, just imagine that with slabs ten to fifteen tons. They they are able right. to hold up this structure's um, uh, a roof, and on top of there, they would put a cone like a upside down Af- uh, um, ice cream cone, a triangle. And what that does is, is, is when you put dirt on, when you fill all that in, the, the dirt, uh, the, the triangle displaces the weight sideways and not down, okay? It displaces right. it sideways it, it got, and it, it down. Hotel. Yes. You keep talking. i got to step away for a quick minute. Just keep talking, okay? Keep going. Okay. So it, right. it, um, it, it, 
that type of uh, of structure uh, can be lar- as large as you want to. It can be it can be um, as much as one room or several rooms that come off of a larger room, and you have those things um, uh, with covered with with um, with tons and tons of earth. Now, why did the Africans in North in um, in uh, Europe and and um, the, the um, I would say the Netherlands and in Iceland and in Greenland and in Canada and then down into Northern America. Why do they build those mounds? Because they are cool in the the summertime because of the insulation of the dirt, and they're warm during the winter time. So and they don't blow away with tornadoes or hurricanes. There, it's, it's a it's a it's a dome, and um, people are starting to get into um, dome homes in the uh, areas of the world that have uh, hurricanes every year, because a dome, right. which is just like a baseball that you cut in half, or a tennis ball that you cut in half. You know how you cut a tennis ball in half and you put it down? It's a dome. So any a uh, dome is a uh, is a uh, is in a circle, and um, as you go up higher, it gets it gets uh, smaller and smaller. Um, and what happens with, when the wind comes across and blows a dome instead of blowing the roof off, it actually holds the house down. The harder the wind blows, the more it holds the house down, so it can't blow away. So this is a very efficient way uh, to blow, to build your house against uh, storms. And then inside it's the more most efficient way because it has no corners. In your house today, I'm sure there are several corners that are, uh, unless you have a uh, L-shaped piece of furniture to go in that corner, it's a wasted space. A lot of people have wasted spaces all over their houses because uh, they have too many, so, so many corners. But in a dome house, a dome house has no corners. Okay, so okay. Uh, the dome houses have um, have a have a few things uh, going for them that regular houses don't. And one of them is that you can put it, you can build a, a dome home um, from from pieces that are already uh, uh, fabricated. You can put one of those together in a day, a day and a half. A large dome home. You know, you have what you have is triangular pieces of um, of um, boards and uh, that are covered with uh, wood uh, cement. And uh, you have um, out of the cement, you have rods coming out, and what, all you have to do is place those next to each other, and you have a little gap with the rods going going to the left and going to the right, and you pour the uh, the cement down uh, onto the rods, and it connects the cement the the, um, the slabs of cement that are already dry that the uh, rods are coming out of. It covers them, so when it dries, you have a a, a um, a long, smooth surface of of um, of cement, and those are the strongest dome homes that that are made, and they are impervious to tornadoes or hurricanes. People laugh at at people who uh, who uh, say your tornado is going to destroy your home. That's 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 just about impossible uh, because of the the shape of those dome homes. So uh, people, like I say, okay. were in when the when the Africans get to. Uh, Europe. Those were the type of structures that they that they created first. Go ahead, Mike. No, no, I'm, no. I'm, I'm listening. Go ahead. Um, and then we got a, we got a couple more minutes here. Uh, we're gonna wrap up. Okay. So uh, somebody on Facebook they asked a question. Let's let's see. Ross uh, Ross Kepara on Facebook said, "What was the name 
of the mountain that you climbed in India? In India? I was never in India. I was never in India. Okay. Well, there, there, was, there was a mountain that you said you climbed to the top of. What was the name of that mountain? Uh, we went to, um, in Louisiana, it was a, it was a, um, it was a, a mound, Indian Mound. Uh, I'm sorry, not Louisiana. It was St. Louis, um, 16 miles from St. Louis. I climbed up that. That was a, a Indian, a, a, a African mound that they call Indian Mound. It's the largest one in, in North America. Okay. So we should really refer to these mounds as African mounds, is, is what Absolutely. you're saying, right? And in several okay. mounds, they found, they found skeletons of, of so-called pygmies in them, African pygmies. I mean, how much mm-hmm. more evidence do they need? <laughs> right, right, because these, these are African people. Okay. Right. Uh, okay. And they found right. they found the very many domes in in northern Africa and also uh, in Central Africa. Right. Okay. Um, so, how can people get your book? Um, they, I'm changing publishers now. I am no longer going okay. to be with Author House for okay. private reasons. And if you say okay. private reasons, they're usually not good, and that's all I'll okay. say to that. But I'm looking right. for a new publisher as we speak, and I will have one within um, a month or so. And okay. um, so and the book the okay. book will be available with, with uh, about a month from now. All right. So um, do you have any? Uh, do you have what, what's your website? Give people your website address. Okay, my website address is Historic Truth. Historic ends with an I C. Historic Truth. Dot info. I N F O. Okay, Historic Truth. Dot info. Historic mm-hmm. uh, Truth. Dot info. Okay, and do you have any DVDs at your website that people can purchase or anything like that? Not yet. Well, I, I will be uh, creating a a, a, um, a virtual store in the next six months, and I'll, be, have this, I'll okay. be having things to sell out of that. But I am available for people who want me to do a show for them, and I, I do it on, on the Internet now where I can show slides oh. and, and all those type of things. Okay. So you can do, uh, uh, you can do uh, online presentations. and right. um, Okay. And it's, how can people get in contact with you? Well, they can they can get to, the best way is to contact me on my email. My name David at gmail. Okay, uh, at gmail dot com. David at gmail dot com. Okay, um, and you we're going to bring you back on when your uh, new book comes out. We're going to bring you back on for that because uh, we definitely want to talk about that as well and. Um, uh, also, you're going to have the tours coming up uh, very soon. I think you said uh, next year, early tours. next year. Hopefully. Next year, early hopefully. next year. Okay, so we'll bring yeah, yeah, we'll bring you back to talk about that as well. Okay, uh, so we talked about primary sources. We talked about the ancient fossils. Uh, anything you want to leave uh, the listening audience with before uh, uh, you get out of here? Yes, the folks listening today are listening to a brother who has almost um, 2 million people listening to him whenever he gets on the radio. So you're in good hands. This brother has so many different <laughs> things. So many different things. Speak about 
I'm, I'm, I just got to give him a commercial. Sorry. Oh, thanks, <laughs> thanks. And 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 the premise of your book is yes. dealing with facts and evidence showing that the first people coming to the Americas, South America, North America, and specifically Central the America. land we call the United, United States of America, and then also Central America, these were African people or Africoid people, and this is based upon the evidence, and these were uh, the Khoisan, okay, the Khoisan, Ainu, the Twa, the short statute people, and right. this is what the, this is what Evidence shows, okay? Now, and I have you're 17 going, pieces what, of evidence that shows that. 17. So in your new book, you're going to have 17 pieces, whereas in the first book it was 13 pieces. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And lastly, what is the relationship between many African Americans who are descendants of enslaved Africans and the first Africans coming to this land. What is the relationship between them, or is there a relationship? Well, there's a DNA genetic relationship uh, directly. What do you mean? Explain that. Directly. Okay, you have Africans that come over and um, and get into the Americas, and then you have um, African um, African Americans who marry mm -hmm. within the African-American community and don't go out, and then you mm -hmm. have other ones that do. And people say, oh, no, everyone's uh, mixed now. No, they aren't. If you go down to Louisiana and you talk to Chief Warhorse, who is a black Indian, okay, and mm -hmm. she can show you 12,000 people in her, in her um, Indian town called Slidell that is right across the, uh, the bay uh, from um, New Orleans, he says there's 12,000 unmixed black Indians there. And I said, is that all? She says, no, there are more black Indians in Mississippi, in um, Alabama, in um, uh, Georgia, and in, um, in uh, Florida. I said, oh, you mean the Seminole? She started laughing. She says, no. She says, that's one of our, our Indian names for runaways. So right. there are people in this on on this on this continent of North America who are black Indians who are Africans by birth and um who never ever uh married outside of their uh so called group okay right. so that and amazed I, me I, when I, I found that out me. that just amazed me and you put me in contact you put me in contact with Chief Warhorse I talked to her for an hour on the phone is that right? Um, and she, she told me. She talked to you yeah, for an hour. Yeah, you're right about right? that. She talked to me for an hour, man. Yeah, you're right about that, man. And, she's a and walking she told me, she told me. man, she, and she never gets boring yeah. or repeats herself. Right, and she told me, you know, about their group and how you have those in the group that never intermixed outside of the group, uh, outside of that nation, um, et cetera. So that still exists. So many African-Americans, we're not privy to that information. We're not told that information. And they don't want you to um, know that information. Right, right, right. They, they they don't want us to know that information, definitely. Okay. So uh we're gonna have to bring you back, brother, uh to, to talk some more. And uh now if 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 organizations man want to bring you in to do workshops or to do lectures and you know they they'll pay your honorarium and they'll pay for you to travel. Will you travel also, or you just do online presentations? 
Well, if it's a if it's a what an eight hour presentation, um, I'll, I'll travel. You know, eight hour one or two day presentations. But if it's just a two or three hour presentations, I do it online because it's cheaper for more, okay. more people to do it that way. You know, people don't have five and and fifteen and twenty thousand dollars anymore to speak, to send on speakers. Well, okay. <laughs> All right. I mean, I got a PhD. Right, I mean, I, I, I kind of earned it. You know what I mean? So, but right, my price right. is way down now. Right, right. I understand that. Okay, brother. All right. We got to run, man. So you have a good night. I'll talk to you soon, okay? Okay. You take care, Mike. Love okay. you, bro. Peace. All right. Love you, too. Hotel. Peace. Yeah. Okay, family. Uh, we got uh, brother Deshaun Farad. Uh, Coming up um, here in just a minute, stand by Brother uh, Deshaun. And, uh, you know, back to back, man, we did not get a chance to plug one of our sponsors, uh, New Business Solutions, newbusinesssolutions.com, newbusinesssolutions.com. Overworked, suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors, or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. All right, newbusinesssolutions.com. They can help you maximize your revenue potential. They also provide um, accounting services as well. Uh, also, be sure to visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have uh, the Elementary Genocide uh, Part 3 documentary there. I'm featured in it. You have Dr. Uh, you have Professor James Small, Professor Kabahai Wapakamane, Dr. Boyce Watkins. Also, at our website, all of my DVD lectures are there, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. I will be in Atlanta uh, Friday, October 13th through Sunday, October 15th, uh, we're doing the screening of Black Friday Part 2, The Living Legacy, uh, Friday, October 13th, 7 p.m. at the Impact Center in Atlanta. And then we have the uh, Rebuild Black Wall Street Expo and Marketplace on Saturday, October 14th at the uh, Coco Studios, 767 Traybert Street, uh, Northwest Atlanta, Coco Studios. Uh, visit the filmblackfriday.com, the filmblackfriday.com for more information. Also, we have information at, at africanhistorynetwork.com. Uh, there's a panel discussion uh, after the film on Friday. I'm on the panel. Come on out. Visit our vendor table as well. I have my DVDs there also, so I'll be in Atlanta. Uh, uh, October Friday, October 13th through Sunday, October 15th. I'll be in Chicago. 
uh, Wednesday and on Thursday, October 18th and 19th at Chicago State University. Uh, for the Ujima Marketplace, we have the information at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Okay, on the line we have uh, journalist Deshaun Farad. We've had him on the show before, uh, and he also writes for YourBlackWorld.net. Um, I have him on to talk about the uh, the uh, Black Women's March that took place September 30th, 2017 in Washington, D.C. Hey, Deshaun, thanks for holding sour, running late tonight. How you doing tonight, brother? I'm fine, Brother Michael. Thank you for having me on, my friend. Oh, no problem, man. No problem. So you were you were in uh, Washington D.C. for uh, the Black Women's March, and I saw the video that you shot. It's on YouTube, uh, and it's called uh, "March for Black Women in D.C." March for Black Women in D.C. It's about a six-minute, thirty-second segment. Uh, so explain to people. Uh, what was going on at this march, and what was the feeling that you got uh, there uh, at the march also? Well, this march was originally uh, called in protest to President Trump going after the Title IX uh, initiative, which was set in place by President Obama. And um, unfortunately, this was a few weeks ago. The reason the Trump administration had, first of all, Title IX, is an initiative that uh, protects women in particular uh, from uh, sexual assault on campus, college campuses across America, as well as uh, it covers reproduction rights such as abortion, uh, Planned Parenthood. But the, uh, the Trump administration said that it was going after it or attempting to end it because it felt that it uh, unfairly treated accuser, uh, those who have been accused of sexual assault. That, that was the initial... Right. That was the initial purpose of the march on September 30th that I covered. However, uh, the march's message seemed to either, you could say, you could argue that the message had either devolved or evolved into something else, okay? Throughout the march, they Mm -hmm. kept emphasizing, of course, the abuse of black women, but they had placed the emphasis on black transgender women, who some of the speakers said, including Gina Belafonte, uh, black transgender women are the most marginalized and the most oppressed in society, uh, 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 worse, more so than uh, actual women or black women who were born women. Okay, so that was, a, uh, you know, like I said, yeah. that, that, that was the initial, you know. Yeah, Go ahead. I, you know, I read articles about this man, and I saw your video, and it, and it you know, I, look, I'm all, look, I'm all for African-American women having their marches, having their protests, to talk about their issues, man. But it seemed like it seemed like the transgender issue was superseding uh, African American women and their issue. Yes. It seemed like the yes. transgender issue was being yes. pushed out front, and uh, to me that causes confusion, you know. Uh, but okay, but go ahead. I, that's why I wanted to bring you on because you were there. I wasn't there. I've read well, articles honest, about it. I well, saw I'm your video. Honest, yes. Go ahead. Huh? Yes. Well, like I said, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I, I admire seeing, you know, I'm not, I don't believe that men should be telling women how to conduct themselves. So I was in support of the sisters taking place, and I think I was in support of the sisters having a march, uh, uh, practicing self-determination, but I was very concerned about the possibility of white liberals as well as the white LGBT community uh, infiltrating right. Uh, black movements, and uh, another person who had observed this was Dr. Cleo Monago. 
you know, Dr. Cleo Monaco, yeah. who would I, uh, he's, you know, he's, as they were, okay, he coined the term same gender loving, which, but, but for basic terms, he would identify as being openly gay, if you would. He had a problem right. with, uh, when him and I spoke, you know, and I described to him what was taking place, he had a problem with the March's uh, initial message. Of course, now, October 28th, which is the 20th anniversary of the Million Women March, which was organized in Philadelphia in 1997, uh, Sister Filet T, who was the founder of it, uh, you, you, you may notice a slightly or a much more drastically different message being told at this month's March in Philadelphia. Okay, you're not really going to find the whole transgender thing being pushed. But, uh, like I said, what disturbs me and others is that, like I said, I'm not at all knocking uh, brothers and sisters who would be con- uh, considered transgender, but it's just that I was confused, okay, for you to upgrade Brother Malcolm's statement or downgrade Brother Malcolm's statement. Remember, Malcolm X said that the black woman is the least protected in society, so I'm trying to figure out how Malcolm's statement would end up including transgender black women. Okay, that, that was the mm-hmm. thing that was baffling me. And, of course, even, you know, I had the privilege of interviewing uh, Gina Belafonte. Uh, she is the founder of Sankofa.org. She's also the daughter of our brother, Harry Belafonte. Uh, you know, we, we have to pour libations to, to the wonderful elder, Ashe. But she had ended, she was the last person that I interviewed in the package on video, and she had emphasized that uh, black, her exact words were that black transgender women are the most marginalized in society. Now, this is coming from, this is what, this is what was emphasized throughout the march by black women. You have uh, women who were actually born black women saying that. So I'm a little bit con- right. uh, I'm a little bit See, concerned that, that was about confusing that. me too. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> that was confusing yes, me sir. too, man. That's why I wanted to bring you on because I'm like, you know, <laughs> see, it, it seems it's to me it seemed like another movement was infiltrating this movement. Oh That's yes, what it seemed I said like that. I, oh yes, I posted about it, dear brother. I posted. I said that. Look, after I said, listen, I applaud the sisters, but I posted on Facebook. I said it is apparent to me that our that the Black Liberation Movement has been hijacked by white liberals, but also the agendas of, of you know other movements. And so this is what we we have to ask ourselves, brother Mike: Is intersectionality harmful, or is is it helpful to black people, or is it harmful to black people? We have to ask ourselves the question: Why did Dr. John Henry Clark tell black people, "quote You have no friends"? Mm-hmm. Now explain to people who are not familiar with this term. Because I hear these yeah. terms, man, from from a certain segment of the population and, and college yeah. professors and things like that. What is intersectionality? Okay, well, if your audience will forgive me, I forgot the name of the sister. It's a black woman that coined the term in 1989. Intersectionality is a concept that says that all oppressed groups of people are united by way of oppression. So this would include black people, this would include uh, Jews, it would include women, it would include uh, uh, the LGBT community, it would include immigrants, Muslims, all the first groups of people. And you will see that actually intersectionality has been practiced throughout the decades. It was even, to an extent, uh, emphasized by the, by the original Black Panther Party, because if you remember the original Black Panther Party, although they did not allow whites in their organizations, they still... Uh, formed alliances with all the oppressed groups of people. They, they have that, including uh, the gay community. Uh, so the term intersectionality says that, okay, okay, you cannot be, okay, if you're, okay, if you're pro-black, you can't be homophobic, okay? If you are, if you are anti-homophobia, you can't be sexist, okay? You understand what I'm coming from? If you're anti-sexist, you can't be 
uh, xenophobic. So it, it says that all all the, it says that all the struggles are tied into one. But the criticism is no. first of all, brother Michael, just to let you know, we've actually seen this term, in my judgment, come more to the. It, it, it seems to have been more resurrected or given more play over the past five years with the with the killings of black men and the advent of Black Lives Matter, because you begin seeing these mm. different groups of people. Since uh, which actually sparked it off was the killing of Trayvon Martin in 2012. And since that time, right. we've actually seen this term being thrown around more and more and more, although, it was, although the concept was in existence for decades, but it was coined in 1989. But you see this, like I said, being more and more practiced and uh, advocated over the past five years. So let me, let me ask this question, okay? So when you talk about homophobia, what exactly is homophobia? The reason why I say that is because... If somebody doesn't agree with the homosexual lifestyle, oftentimes they're labeled as a homophobe or they, they say you're homophobic just because you don't agree that a man's penis belongs in the man's anus. You think it belongs in a woman's vagina. So what exactly mm-hmm. is homophobia? Well, according to uh, most, by most definitions, uh, keep in mind the, uh, the suffix. Uh, phobia means fear, and so homophobic phobia right. would be it would classify those who would be uh, in fear of homosexuals. But there were some people who uh, have said that perhaps that is you know that that term was invented as a way of empowering uh, the LGBT community, the white LGBT community in particular, depending on who you speak with. Mm-hmm. But you have to be very careful. The people who uh, keep in mind, brother Mike. Everyone who advocates gay rights does not does not identify as gay, okay? But what people right. who advocate gay rights have to do, whether they be gay or straight, what they have to understand is that there are just some people who are not going to agree with homosexuality. It might be because of moral, cultural, or religious reasons. So if I disagree with something, okay, say, for example, I'm a vegan, and right. I don't support eating animals. Am I then considered animal phobic because I may disagree with someone who eats animals? So mm-hmm. it becomes a it it, it 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 ends up becoming okay a case of narrow-mindedness on okay one-sidedness. Okay, you expect me to accept your perspective, but you don't have to accept my perspective. And I think that it's unfair right. for now. If you're a person, I can understand if you're if you're doing what's referred to as gay bashing. That's something different. But if I'm a person who, for whatever reason, I might say, well, look, I'm a devout Christian, I'm a devout Muslim, Jew, Hindu, etc., etc., Afrocentricity, and my religious belief does not support that, if I say it politely, I don't think that that person should be referred to as homophobic. Right, right. So, see, because what it seems like to me oftentimes is, is people who disagree with the homosexual lifestyle are then labeled something to say that you're wrong because you don't you don't accept this particular lifestyle, but you know to me you don't have to accept a particular life. You don't have to accept if you don't think homosexuality or lesbianism is natural, then that's your right to think that. Now it's not your right. You don't have a right to physically harm somebody who's homosexual or lesbian. You don't have a right to physically harm them. Or demean them, but you don't have to agree with that lifestyle. So what? You, you don't have to agree with that lifestyle, but you shouldn't be you shouldn't be labeled something because you don't agree with that lifestyle. It seems like it seems like you have certain people who are trying to 
normalize abnormal behavior. That has, you know, brother Mike. That has been the argument, dear brother. That has been the argument. But we also have to, uh, we also have to keep in mind too. Uh, if we have to ask ourselves the question regarding the Black Liberation Movement, okay? And I spoke right. uh, once again with, uh, I spoke with Cleo Cleo has actually addressed this. Cleo Cleo straight up said that the Black Liberation Movement was actually co-opted by the by the white LGBT movement. Okay, for example, when you look at the term. Uh, originally the term black pride that belonged to us then all of a sudden the white LGBT yeah. movement turned it into pride it's now pride when someone says pride right away you think of you think of gay rights but originally when, when we said pride it was originally black pride black pride okay so, yeah so and it, I know Cleo you know, the, I just uh I know Cleo I was just on a panel discussion with them at the uh, all black national convention uh, two weekends yes, ago, okay? I've had the so, of so Cleo, him. Oh, absolutely. So Cleo, talk, and he's on News 1 now with Roland Martin a lot also. On TV. So Cleo talks about how the LGBT community, basically the white LGBT how they co-opted the Black Pride slogan and made it pride. This is what he's saying, right? Yes. Okay, yeah, He mentioned ahead. that. Actually, he said, that, you know, he said that for years, He's actually said it for years, of, uh, and, and we actually, like I said, we actually see that. You know, mm-hmm. we actually see that. You know, he has, he's actually mentioned that. But, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, keep in mind that uh, when it comes to white supremacy, okay, you have uh, conservative white folks who practice white supremacy. You have liberal white folks who practice white supremacy. You have LGBT white folks who practice white supremacy. And it was something that Brother Collar used to always say. Brother Collar said that everywhere he traveled, Basically, what he said was he said the he said the white man was on top, the black man was on the bottom, regardless of what political or religious philosophy uh, that particular country has subscribed to, and we see that in these various movements. And, and you know, we have to we have to ask ourselves the question: Why did Malcolm X say after he came back from Mecca? Why did he warn black people to be cautious of white liberals? Right. And you see, to keep in mind, brother Mike, a lot of these movements that are infiltrating the black liberation movement. Feminism, queerism, LGBT, a lot of these are simple. These are white liberal movements. Mm-hmm. Right, and that exactly. Is what you, exactly. And, that, and that is what I've been seeing. You know, I've been seeing, that, like I said, since the advent of Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, let me ask you, and, and, and we're not bashing the Black Lives Matter movement, things like this. There's certain things, there's certain elements that I disagree with in the movement. There are other elements I agree with. Everybody me in too, the movement me too. is not. Yeah, everybody in the LGBT, everybody in the Black Lives Matter movement has different feelings about LGBT, this and that, you know, what have you. So we're not bashing the entire Black Lives Matter movement. Um, um, the Root.com has an article about this march. Thousands descend on Washington D.C. for the March for Black. Thousands descend on Washington D.C. for the March for Black Women. Also, YourBlackWorld.net has an article about it as well. Uh, I'll give you the name from the one from Your Black World in a minute here. Okay, so let me ask you this question, man. Watching the interview that you did, and I'm trying to upload the interview now to see if we can play it. Watching the the interview that you did, you shot on location there, you interviewed some of the women. So one of the sisters, one of the sisters was talking about uh, cis black men, C-I-S. So I keep keep hearing this term, cis. What the hell is that? Because I only hear it from a certain segment. Of the population. Uh, what, what is, what, what brother is Michael? It? And if your listeners will forgive me, 
my dear brother, I've been meaning to look up that term for quite some time and see that's another thing with, with intersectionality. And, brother, you, these new terms are being introduced, and they seem to, you know, you, you have these new terms being introduced, the, you know, uh, uh, to black people, cis and hypermasculinity and toxic masculinity. But I've been meaning to look that term up. I'm going to be honest with you. At this point, I don't know, dear brother, and I'm not, I'm not in front of my laptop today with a to be able to look okay, that up. So but that's actually, it's, it's a term that uh, resembles, it's supposed to it, represent uh, a, gen, a gender uh, description, some type of gender description. Yeah, so, okay, so I'm looking at one article here. I'm, I'm Googling uh, cis male, C-I-S, because I keep hearing, yes. like, like I said, man, it's only a certain segment of the population, man, keep using this damn term. So, right. um, but, it, but it, it, so, it's regarding gender. It's a gender description. I do know that it's a gender yeah. description. Okay, so they, there's one article from, oh, this is from Everyday Feminist. Okay, so this is one article from HuffingtonPost.com called "My Experiences as a Straight Cis Man, a Straight Cis Man Engaged to a Straight Trans Woman." Okay, what the? Okay, so uh, <laughs> all right, this, uh, so I need to look up this straight man to find out what the hell that is. Okay. Uh, okay, but go ahead, brother. Go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up, man. Uh, well, anyway, but see this. Well, see this is the thing. And, and too, brother Mike, you mentioned the root. Um, uh, two weeks ago, uh, brother Damon Young, a very smart brothers. You know, they're affiliated now. The root and very smart brothers seem to have an alliance. He wrote an article right. entitled uh, "Straight Black Men Are the White People of Black People," and he had made some right. very good points. But at the same time, dear brother, respectfully speaking. And uh, uh, me and some, you know, me and some other folks, brother Mike. There were some other folks who would identify, other black men who identify as as, uh, as openly gay, had a serious problem with that article because they feel that there's there's an attack on black masculinity. Okay. Right. And, and Cleo Monago had saying, a problem with it also. Saying, Cleo Monago had a problem with that article as well. We talked about that uh, uh, during the panel discussion at the All Black National Convention. Oh, understood, understood. I'm sure he did, definitely, because right now, see, we're talking about intersectionality. A lot of our colleagues that are up and coming that are, say, in our age range, the hip-hop generation that are in our age range and younger, a lot of them are advocating intersectionality, if you notice that. So what they're doing is they seem to be trying to tie the struggle for black liberation uh, against, you know, they, they, they seem to be trying to equate that with gender equality as well. But it, it, it's okay. unfair. The problem that I was having with him, and I actually contacted Damon Young, on Twitter, and I said, brother, I said, do you think that, that uh, homosexual men cannot be just as sexist? And I actually had to jump in his case before, brother, when he had wrote an article about the, quote, Hotep movement. And I wrote an article in response to him several months ago saying that I'm a proud Hotep. And I sent right. it to him. It was a rebuttal article that I did. So you're finding a lot of these uh, up-and-coming, uh, some of these journalists, that are not, uh, journalists and media people in our generation, they seem to be going after straight black men, in my judgment. Right. And well, not only that, they're going, they're going, yeah. not, not only that, to label a group of people as HOTEP, you're targeting uh, African-centered people. This yeah. is what you're doing. You're targeting African-centered people because the type of information that African-centered people are dealing with is a different type of information than the other population who is targeting are, ta- are talking about. 
They're not talking a lot about African history, things like this. I read The Root. They have some good articles. Some of that stuff is nonsense. And I noticed that The Root now, in the past few months, they started using a lot more profane language and vulgar language also. I don't even know what that's about. Yes. You know. Yes, yes. No, I don't, yeah, I, I've noticed the same thing, Brother Mike. I know the same thing. Some of their stories seem to be more hard-hitting. You know, I understand that. And I respect, you know, that was started by, uh, The Root was founded by Henry Louis Gates, Skip Gates, you know, some years ago. Yeah. Okay. But he doesn't uh, but own it. It's owned, it's owned by Hispanics. It's owned by Hispanics now. Right. It's, by Latino, I think it's Univision. It, right. It. Yeah. right. I remember yeah, when ahead. they bought it, as a matter of fact. I remember when they bought it, as a matter of fact. But, yes, but uh, my concern is that, see, Damon Young, in my judgment, and I would say this to Damon Young respectfully, the problem that I'm having, uh, dear brother, with many of our colleagues, and I actually wrote about this several months ago when I covered the NAM convention, I covered the black media panel. Brother Michael, many of our black colleagues, and by that I mean many of our black media colleagues, are nothing more than bourgeois Negroes poorly masquerading as progressive activists. Some of them are yeah, some kind right of Negroes. And by that I mean, what do I mean? Okay, they try to come across as being down. Yeah, we down with the system. Yeah, this, that, and the third. We down with the system. But then at the end of the day, they're actually siding with the status quo against their own people. Mm-hmm. And then they end up practicing the same bigotry that they accuse, quote, us hoteps of practicing. And I can name right. some. I, I mean, Damon Young, like I said, I hate to single, out, single the brother out, but I was annoyed by his article tremendously. Yes, we as black men have to address the abuse uh, that black women are suffering at our hands. We have to. But you've had Minister Farrakhan saying that for decades. You've had many people have said right. that for decades, dear brother. Okay, you've had, uh, you know, we have to address that, dear brother. We as black men have to address that. However, I'll be damned if. Uh, I continue to, uh, if we continue to allow folks from within our own community to keep demonizing black men as if though we, as if though we are naturally inclined to violence, okay? Because first of all, see, this is something that was brought up at the march, okay? One particular sister who was a victim of sexual assault, she had said that, you know, that we need to address the violence of, of uh, you know, the sexual assault of black women at the hands of black men. Of course, the crowd hollered, that's right, girl, go ahead, I agree. But then right after that, she said, Yes, black women have been going through this for 400 years. Okay, well, who was sexually assaulting you first when you say for 400 years when we came to America? Okay, see, at one point, the problem that I'm having with a lot of these folks that claim intersectionality and they claim uh, they they talk about toxic masculinity and hypermasculinity, these terms seem to be specifically aimed at black men. Now, one minute you're saying that you're against white male patriarchy, but then at the same time, when discussing the violence that black men are inflicting towards black women, you are excusing and ignoring white male patriarchy. Right, exactly, exactly. Because that because we learned it from Europeans. This is what people have to understand. We learned it from Europeans and we're dealing with the side effects of white supremacy and racism. Okay? And a lot of times they don't want to deal with that. They want to target African-American men, and, and they, make a, they make a distinction. This is another thing I noticed, man. Some of them make a distinction, and, and they, they, they say heterosexual black men. Yes, they make a distinction and say heterosexual black men. So, so then it's like there's an attack on heterosexual black men. I'm like, where is this coming from? Listen, brother, listen up, brother. I'm going to say this again, brother Michael. Anytime you have openly gay black men saying to me, that there's an attack on straight black men, you know it has to be a problem, okay? <laughs> you right. know it has to be a problem. Right. So right now we have to go back to what Dr. Francis West Wilson, and I asked this question last week. Was Dr. Francis mm-hmm. West Wilson correct 
is there an attempt to effeminize black men? Was she wrong right. when she said that? Is, okay, is right. black masculinity targeted? Yes, yes it is. Uh, two quick things. Okay, so the Urban Dictionary, the definition for cis male, C-I-S, cis male mm-hmm. is a male person mm-hmm. who identifies as the gender he, she was born with, also known as the most privileged type of person while remaining the punch bags of all LGBT communities. Okay. So, um, so, so they, they refer to, see, here's, here's the problem. Okay. So they refer to men who identifies men and were born men. They refer to them as cis male as this, this, there's something wrong with that. Yes. You know, you well, it, yeah. You you suppose okay, if you were born a male and you identify as being a male, you're supposed to. That's not out of the ordinary. You're supposed to. So they so they they label this a term as if there's something wrong with this. You know, so this is what I'm gonna do. This is what I'm gonna do, Deshaun. I uploaded the I uploaded the audio of the video. Uh, that you shot, okay? It's six minutes. So uh, we've got um, got 11 minutes left here. So I want to play this video. Stand by. I want to play this video, then I'm going to come back to you for closing remarks, okay? I want people to oh, hear brother this. Mike. Thank you, Brother Mike. I'm honored that you're going to play it. And it was, by the way, it was shot by Dr. Samori Swagger. He was the editor and yeah, producer. Yeah, shot by Dr. Samori Swagger. Yeah, Dr. Samori Swagger. It's on YouTube also. People check it out. It's called uh, March for Black Women in D.C., March for Black Women in D.C. Let me play this. So just mute your phone, uh, Deshaun, and uh, yes, sir. Uh, play this. Okay, here we go. Hello, I'm Dashaun Farad. Welcome to Right and Exact. We're here in Washington, D.C. attending a march titled March for Black Women. This march addresses many issues affecting black women across the country, including racism, sexism, reproduction rights, as well as mass incarceration. This march includes a rally, which features many of the march's organizers. That includes many speakers and activists from across the country. But during the pre-march rally, speakers wasted no time letting it be known why they were there. And one of my heroes, Fannie Lou Hamer, who said, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. tired. They understand my place here is to sit and listen. I also want to say that the reason I'm able to have this conversation is because the language civil rights leaders, black women, black trans women, have given us to be able to describe our experiences. So it is on your shoulders that I stand and I'm able to talk about what happened to me. Let us never forget that our black babies whose lives have been taken way too soon by state violence. Seven-year-old Ayanna Monet Stanley Jones. Let us not forget the many black women whose lives have been stolen by state violence. Sandra Bland. Rakia Boy, Charlene Loud. And let me just tell you, a 92-year-old woman, Mr. Catherine Johnson, I am strong and I am healthy because of you all, because of us, because what sisterhood does, sisterhood makes us strong. And all these iconic images that we see of 
of Ruby, they're alone, right? We are not alone. We bring people with us. We do that better than anyone. Black women are so generous. And giving the mic to white girls today. And we know what some of y'all did. I stand here in front of you today as a woman of privilege. And perhaps not in the way that you might think. Yes, my last name is Bella Fonte. And carrying the mantle of my family's continuing legacy is among the greatest privileges of my life. But I stand here before you today as a black woman of privilege because I have a calling. I have a purpose. And that purpose is one of the greatest privileges that any human can experience in a lifetime. An awareness of something greater than yourself. An awareness that calls at you and hugs you from the restful sleep to say, get up! Rather, you took their bold message to the streets of the nation's capital. We then spoke with march organizers and participants. So we're here today because it is time for black women's voices to be censored. It is time for an acknowledgement and an understanding, a deeper understanding of the experiences of black women in this country. It is time for us to address the ways in which systematic oppression has um, definitely impacted our lives as black women. Um, our, our bodies, our communities have been violated. We have dealt with so many various forms of oppression. And it's time to talk about that. It's a time to acknowledge that. And it's time to amplify the fact that we are coming together collectively across different movements, across yeah, our identities yeah. as black women, cis and transgenders, to stand for our rights, to stand firm in the fact that we are doing this work um, to better ourselves, our communities, and it's time for the, for the world to understand the importance of black women and why this is important to us. Oh, I'm here to support black women, especially black women entrepreneurs. Because in order to build economic power for the black community, we have to have our own businesses, our own jobs. And that's not going to happen without supporting the businesses of black women and the movements of black women. So like a non-profit movement such as this. My thoughts today about this march is I'm proud to be a part of it. I'm proud to be a part of this movement because I think it's very necessary. I feel like black women are an endangered species almost. And it's such, um, on the opposite end, scale of the spectrum, we are the most brilliant rising in high, highest education and education. We're rising in entrepreneurship. And for us to be killed at the same time and incarcerated at the same time is something, somebody's trying to stop us. The system is trying to stop us. So I'm here today to be a part of what they're saying, which is that they have to stop. Well, I'm out here today for the March for Black Women to show not only how deeply, deeply centered black women are in the struggle for equality, 
and racial justice, uh, but that it is time for black women to be at the forefront of this space. And as we joined the larger march for racial justice, I was honored to be invited to speak at this rally uh, so that I can share in the pain, in the joy, and in the love of black women and black trans women in particular because they are the most marginalized in our society and it's important for us every time we have a platform and an opportunity to uplift black trans women and women of color. And so I came out today to do just that. In Washington, D.C., Dasan Barad, right and exact. Okay, so that was... Uh, that was... September 30th, 2017, in Washington, D.C. Okay, so uh, we gave the, I gave the name of the article from theroot.com, Thousands Descend on Washington, D.C. for Black Women. Also, um, the New York Times has an article, September 30th, 2017, Marches for Racial Justice and Black Women Converge in Washington. Marches for Racial Justice and Black Women Converge in Washington. Okay, uh, Deshaun, we got about two minutes here. Go ahead with your closing yeah. remarks, please. Well, uh, you know, I'd just like to say that, uh, you know, there is another march taking place. Uh, I'm not involved with the organizing of it, but October 28th, uh, that march is being right. held in Philadelphia in commemoration of the Million Women March in ni- October 1997 in Philadelphia. Uh, right. You know, they have a Facebook page that actually has the full information as well as the agenda. And Sister Felici, she uh, once again, the founder of the Million Woman March, she's at the forefront. Uh, but, uh, you know, as a journalist, I'll be there covering it. You know, I'll be there covering it, dear right. brother. But I'm, I, I'm thank, thank you for having me on, Brother Michael. I really appreciate it, Pratt. Thank you. Uh, no problem, man. No problem. Uh, so uh, let people know how they can find you on social media as well. And uh, who do you write for? Okay, okay well, uh, I'm a staff writer as well as a broadcaster for yourblackworld.net. I have a, a YouTube show called Right and Exact. You type in my name, Dashaun Farad, that pops up. D is in David, O-S-H-O-N is in Nancy, last name F is in Freedom, A is in Apple, R-A-D as in David, Dashaun Farad, that's on Facebook. That's uh, my uh, webpage is dashaunfarad.page.tl. If you're looking for someone to keynote your event, I do do public addresses, or if you need someone to appear on your radio show uh, or your TV show. But that's how you can reach me. I'm on Twitter and Facebook as well as LinkedIn under the same name. Okay, uh, and uh, the sister sent me uh, an email. Who is this? Empress, Empress uh, Chai? Empress Chai? Uh, Chi, yeah, that's, uh, that, 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 I think it's yeah, late Chi. Chi. Yes. Okay, yeah, I talked to her. She said we spoke briefly while at the Liberated Minds Black Homeschooling Expo in Atlanta. Okay, so this mm-hmm. is coming up, uh, mm-hmm. Million Woman March. I'm looking for a website address. Uh, I got to get in touch with her. We have to get her on. Uh, what's the What's the website again for the Million Woman March? Oh, what I was saying, to brother, I don't have that because I'm not respectfully speaking, brother Mike. I'm oh. not here representing the Million Woman March, so I didn't. But oh, you can okay. go to Facebook. So, so they have a are... Facebook page. Woman, it'll okay. be Million Woman March 2017 or 20th anniversary. It'll pop up, but it actually has the flyer. It'll show you the flyer because people are sending it across social media. Right. Right. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm going to try to pull this up here. I got to email the sister back. 
Okay, Deshaun. Well, look, man, you have a great night, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? Thank you. Thank you for having me on, my friend, once again. Okay, brother. Hotel. Peace. Hotel. Peace. Okay. Uh, yep. All right. That's one of my frat brothers, Deshaun Farad, Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Okay, hey, I'll be in Atlanta this weekend, October 13th through October 15th, for the um, screening of the Black Friday documentary. Um, that's taking place at the Impact Center. Uh, you can visit.